BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yush. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we will preview Destruction in Ryogoku and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex That's where you can get your official Keeping it strong style t-shirt If you enjoy this podcast Please consider making a one time or monthly donation By visiting socialsuplex.com Slash donate And clicking on the donate button Under the keeping it strong style logo This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT The only browser extension for NJPWworld.com Frequently updated and with features like dark mode Improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how are you doing, man? I hurt my back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened, but... uh yeah, I fucked up my back this past weekend, and uh, yeah, pain, hurt, hurt, olds down bad. <laughs> just it just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, it's probably my fault. I probably haven't been drinking enough water and 
you know, I've been working out a lot and I sort of felt like some of the muscles tensing up and I, I probably should have taken a break or done some stretching or plyo or some shit, but uh, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just powered through. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly, like all of a sudden, like my, my whole back tense stuff and I was like, oh no <laughs> it's been a few days and like it's not necessarily gotten that much better hopefully it does in the next few days so i don't know man yeah but uh all in all everything else is good how what's going on with you man i mean busy a crazy weekend i mean two big road two shows major road yeah. two shows from cork and hall yeah lots of stuff going down in new japan this weekend yeah very uh busy weekend um also, that did to you, uh, you know, you passed your series sixty three exam. So, congrats on that. Yeah, yeah so, I didn't. Uh, I didn't broadcast. I was taking another licensing exam just because. Uh, what if you fail? You know. <laughs> yeah, for for people who don't know exactly what that is, so why don't you you fill them in? It just means I can sell shit. Mm. <laughs> it's a it's it, it's it's finance shit but uh it, it's a hard test and i passed it and i gotta take another one uh, i got a 65 coming up uh by the end of i'm aiming for by the end of the year um so you know if i end up taking off a few you know a, a month in december november you know that that's because i'm studying it has nothing to do with the fact that world tag mm. league is occurring sure yeah <laughs> It, it just so happens to line up just to the exact dates, November through like December 15th, whenever World Tag League ends. Pretty much. So. <laughs> uh, and you, you'll magically be free for Road to Tokyo, though. I'll probably be back in time to watch the <laughs> snowfall in Corkin. <laughs> uh, guess we'll need uh, MJ, MJ to SPR. Come on back. We'll need, we'll need you for uh, Tag League season. Colin Karen. Yep. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, um tough test. Uh I I'm waiting for them to send me my material so I can start studying for the 65, but uh yeah, I was uh doing a little bit of reconnaissance and I'm like, "Holy shit, like the the series 65 test, which is the last one that I need to, you know, basically um advise at my firm. Um 300 questions. Yeah, it's uh, or maybe it's not three. It's not three hundred questions, but it's a uh, it's a three hour test. Which like the none of the tests I've taken are have even been half that length. So yeah, it's pretty fucking daunting, bro. Three hours? That's easy. You you watch Corkins all the time. <laughs> you, you put in three hours and stuff all the time. That should, should be cakewalk. I mean, <laughs> I mean, do I do I watch three hours or do I watch three hour show at? 1.5 Do I watch an hour and a half of a cork and hall show? <laughs> That's a problem. You need you need to build build back up your endurance. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, uh it is October 2nd, which means September is over. It's officially a uh, spooky Waking season. <laughs> when September ends. <laughs> Uh, so it means we got to do a wrestler of the month, match of the month. So, Josh, when you tell the listeners who we're going with for wrestler of the month. Yeah, so me and Jeremy started looking, and although it's been a, a bit easier of a schedule, only six broadcast shows for New Japan in the month of September um, kind of made for a weaker field for wrestler of the month. And 
at first we were kind of looking at Will Ospreay or Suji because they were the obvious candidates based off of the fantastic main event that they had um, at Destruction in Kobe. But when we started looking at the totality of the month, what really became apparent was how consistent and victorious Zack Sabre Jr. was all throughout the month. He had two uh, title defenses on subsequent nights back-to-back, defeating Ryohei Oiwa and then uh, defeating um, Kojima. And then he was on the winning side in every single tag match that he was involved in during the month. And then finally, at that Destruction in Kobe uh, show, he had a major uh, pinfall victory over Tomohiro Ishii in the match where he teamed with uh, uh, Bad Dutito uh, to take on the Chaos team of Ishii and Okada. So when you kind of look at the big wins he had and the meaningful singles matches, it, I think most months this wouldn't be enough to probably clinch Wrestler of the Month. But on this month, September 2023, I think he did enough to kind of uh, – overcome the 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 classic that suji and um osprey put up so uh your wrestler of the month september 2023 zach saber jr and then the match of the month will be that aforementioned will osprey versus iota suji for the IWGP uk title at destruction in kobe Absolutely incredible match. Uncle Dave dropped five stars on it. So Suji getting his He's first five on it. <laughs> Suji getting his first Wrestling Observer newsletter five star matchup. Um, yeah, excellent, excellent main event. Kind of another star, you know, making performance by Yota Suji. And of course, Will is always great. So if you have not watched that match yet, I don't know what you're doing. Go, go back, watch Osprey and Suji from uh, the main event of Destruction in Kobe. Nice. So uh, we got two road two shows, like you mentioned this past weekend, to go over the results of, and then we got to preview the big uh, destruction in Rio Goku show next Monday, October 9th in Sumo Hall. Um, so let's start from the road two shows. Uh, September 30th, Cork in Hall show opened up. We had Hanare defeating Oscar Lube, eight minutes and 58 seconds. And we had a question from MJ Does PR. So they feel like the cur- this current crop of young lions are the biggest size-wise we've seen in a while. What's your overall take on this group? Um, you know, I, I don't know if this group is as easy to pin down in, in terms of like what I see their trajectory being, given the fact that uh, you know, Oscar as well as um Oleg Bolton are both Gaijin um, and they're, you know, uh, like European Gaijin that we've never really had that in the Noge Dojo before. And, uh, you know, both kind of coming from different backgrounds where like Oscar, you know, has a wealth of experience under his belt and is kind of traveled and seasoned already older, but has, uh, you know, an extensive you know, Greco-Roman and uh, freestyle background behind him. Um, and so they're kind of just totally different animals than, you know, we're used to being able to unpack. It's hard for me to say what the, the floor or the ceiling for them is. Um, but I do think it's exciting and fresh and kind of unique because it, it's a differing opportunity for different types of uh, competitors that we're not used to seeing. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, been a very fun crop of young lions to watch. Um, you know, I, I've said it before on the show, but I think Oscar Lube is definitely somebody to keep your eyes on. I know, I know a lot of the focus right now is on Bolton Oleg and kind of the push he's been getting and the comparisons to like a, a Brock Lesnar and kind of his trajectory. But I think Oscar Lube has improved a lot. He's super tall. He's got good size. Like, to me, like we mentioned earlier on the show, like, he needs to watch Walter slash Gunther tapes and this he he'll have it made. He's already doing some of the big chops and he's running the rope. He's a big guy that can run the ropes. He's super agile and athletic. Like I think there's a lot of stock to be bought in Oscar Lube. Yeah. Um I think Oscar moves really well. Um I also I really like Oleg Bolton. Um I think if he's someone that can fall in love with the physicality and, you know, kind of get a violent streak to him. Uh, and you combine that with his, you know, technical prowess. I think we can be looking at something really special there. Yeah, definitely. And I, and, you know, and then I guess we're kind of also forgetting Yuto Nakashima who is cultivating mass <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he's, he's becoming a big bruiser. So uh, that's also going to be interesting to see how that is going to play out. Yeah, lots of interesting uh, prospects in, in this class, and I know there's probably a ton of guys we haven't even seen yet in the Nogue Dojo to come out. So, yeah, very exciting time with the, the young line system right now. Um, so this is, uh, you know, standard kind of opening match. Experienced guy versus uh, young line, Hinare, uh, picking up the win here. Hinare did throw a spinning back fist at one point in the match, and uh, Chris Charlton mentioned how it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, call-out to the current reigning strong openweight champion, Eddie Kingston. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been an ongoing story for Hanare, constantly calling out Eddie Kingston. Nothing back from Eddie Kingston, and there's the big uh, fighting spirit on Lee's show coming up in Las Vegas the end of this month. And the match hasn't made, made official yet, but Hanare kind of keeps calling Kingston out, cutting promos on him, alluding to wanting the strong openweight championship. So... I think once uh, Eddie's defenses that are advertiser all done, I think he will they'll make it official and it'll be uh, Eddie versus Hanare in Vegas. So uh, next matchup here, we had uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi, and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Oleg Bolton, Tiger Mask, and Yuto Nakashima, 9 minutes and 30, 31 seconds. Yeah, uh, Yoshihashi replaced an ill yo going into this match. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yo got ill out for the tour. Always out for the, the ending part of this tour. But yeah, getting to place here. And yeah, you know, standard kind of multi man match here with a, a young lion with some with some dads. Uh two young lions with a dad kind of thing here. So fun matchup, but of course the uh team of Ishii, Tanahashi and Yoshihashi get the win. And uh after this match we had a, a pre tape promo from the Motor City Machine Guns and the walking weapon Josh Alexander talking about the upcoming Never Six Man title match. And they played that promo. Then Tanahashi grabbed the mic and he responded, looking forward to, to facing those guys at Ryugoku. Yeah, Tanahashi said that he wants to be the one to get the win for his team against those guys on October 9th. So, um, you know, looking forward to that one. Um, after that, Hanare uh, joined commentary. For the rest of the show 
Yeah, and I gotta say, Hanari was great on commentary. He was, he was cracking me up. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. So uh, following that, we had the LIJ team, Bushi, Shingo, and Yota Suji defeating the United Empire team, Callum Newman, Great Ocon, Jeff Cobb, 12 minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah, um, this kind of just continued the ongoing feud that we've seen between these two uh, uh, groups all throughout the tour, and they continued their string of very, you know, fast, fun, uh, fast-paced, fun, and entertaining uh, multi-man tag team matches on the undercard. Yeah, a lot of great sequences between Yotosuji and Callum Newman, and they're the last two guys Towards the end of the match, really mixing it up, and uh, Suji got Callum in a Boston Crab and transitioned it into like a, a pendulum lucha swing, and was able to get the submission victory over the Prince of Pace. So, uh, following that, we had the God team of El Fantasmo and Hikaleo teaming up with the Intergalactic Jet Setters of Kevin Knight and Kushida. To defeat the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors, Drilla Maloney, and Gabe Kidd, 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Continues the build between uh, Kushida and Kevin Knight as they're being built up as challengers for uh, Drilla Maloney and uh, uh, Clark Connors Junior IWGP Junior Tag Team titles, as well as the ongoing feud between Bullet Club and God. Yeah, Kashida got the win with the inside cradle over uh, Drilla Maloney. So Kevin Knight has pinned Clark Connors at the Junior Festival. Now Kashida has pinned Maloney. So Jet Setters are picking up a lot of momentum going into Ria Goku. So then uh, following that, we had the rest of G.O.D. of Jado, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa defeating the Bull Club team of Chase Owens, David Finley, and Gato, 13 minutes and 5 seconds. Yep. Um, you know, uh, another preview match for the ongoing feud between G.O.D. and Bull Club, much like the match uh, preceding it. And, you know, on the horizon, we've got David Finley poised to defend his uh, never openweight title against Tamatonga, and the match that everyone is waiting for in Chase Owens versus Tangaloa. <laughs> yeah, very uh, heated, anticipated matchup. Uh, Tangaloa got the win here, putting the uh, cross face on Gato. Gato tapping out immediately. So, yeah, lots of uh, stuff being built up here going into uh, Ria Goku. Now, aside from the um, post-match uh, video package that we saw, most of the show had been road toing super hard up to this point, but we did... Uh, actually get a match of note uh, following this. Yeah, so then we had uh, match number four in the six-man tag best of seven series between Strong Style and Team Nagata, and Strong Style got the win here. El Desperado, Suzuki, and Ren Narita defeating Master Wato, Shota Umino, and Yuji Nagata. Um, kind of big thing about this match was Ren Narita finally getting a pinfall win over Shota Umino. Yeah, a, a very, very hard-hitting, stiff, and uh, violent affair here. So, you know, we definitely sort of started to kind of see where, uh, in my opinion, Strong Style was sort of um, kind of dictating the pace and the style of match here as opposed to 
the way that like Team Nagata, while they like to mix it up as well, they weren't able to work their game plan quite the same way. They kind of got dragged into a brawl and, you know, a firefight with a strong style and they paid for it. Yeah, and, and this match did a really good job. You know, we had mentioned earlier at the beginning of the series, like we hope that each match will tell a story. Um, the first match did, and the second match did, and the third match didn't make tape. Uh, but with this match, they did kind of focus the story of, around Umino and Arita, and Arita fighting so hard to to get that pinfall on Umino. Like you mentioned, very hard-hitting, strong style. Yeah, it was like blitzing these guys, making them kind of yeah, fight their style uh, of matchup. And yeah, then Umino was able to hit that uh, Narita special number two, get that uh Beautiful bridge that he does on, on those suplexes and pin Umino. Yeah, and if we're going by Inoki logic, you know, this is basically Fujinami beating Inoki in that tag match in 85. <laughs> he doesn't need to get a singles win after this. This is it. This is the best Narita could ever hope for when it comes to Shoto Umino. He's never going to get a singles win over this man. He already put him over. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then uh, semi main event we had uh, the just four guys team of Doki Sonata and Taka Michinoku defeating the House of Torture team of Evil Show and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. When we had uh, Taichi making his return, he was off the tour. He uh, took a uh, leave of absence after the turn from Kanemaru. So he missed some of the, the broken heart syndrome. Yes, <laughs> he missed some of the untelevised events and uh, people were not expecting him there. But yeah, he made the surprise return here towards the end, which helped uh, Doki get the win over the KOPW champion show. Yeah, big, big reaction to Taichi's triumphant return here. Yeah, so yeah, great response and uh, Taichi uh, teasing a uh, another member to the group. Yeah, and he also said on the mic, he said, I wasn't just taking a break this week. So uh, very, very cryptic. Chris Charlton was retorting on the mic, like, what does that mean? And uh, it was very clear that Evil was uh, very much unnerved by Tai Chi's cryptic statement. And that continues to play into the ongoing feud between just four guys slash just five guys and House of Torture. So we'll see how that you know plays out this week. Yeah. Then the uh, big main event here, we had Kazuchika Okada and Leo Rush defeating Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito, 20 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, um, this was a show that was, you know, pretty stereotypical, what you'd expect when you think of your C-level type Road 2 show, uh, with a few pleasant surprises mixed in, but the main event was uh, kind of next level and sort of outperformed the rest of the show. Uh, this is what we would call a banger. Yeah, it, it was awesome. And I think the, the highlights were Leo Rush and Hiromu. And, you know, we've been praising Leo in this current run of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, you know, there are certain guys when they get certain promotions, it, it really brings the best out of them. And I think New Japan brings the best out of Leo Rush every time he's been on tours. Tons of fire, um, just really motivated. These great, intense sequences, speed through the roof. I mean, and you, you see the guy in Impact. Yeah, he's, he's been fine in Impact and GCW and stuff in the U.S., but there's something even more special about him when he gets over to New Japan. Obviously, a super talented guy, but I feel like he just really steps it up another notch when he's in Japan. 
Yeah, Leo Rush in New Japan better than Leo Rush in AEW. So, <laughs> Nihon Rush. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, this this was really fantastic, and I'm still very much looking forward to Hiromu and Leo Rush. But then, you know, uh, you also have to kind of consider Speedball Mike Bailey is going to be in that match, and he hasn't been in the build at all up to this point. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, they have kind of a imagined. Uh, uh, speedball being in the build and Hiromu kind of yelling at Speedball when he's not there. Uh, but towards the end of this matchup here, uh, Hiromu got double teamed by Leo and Okada. They were hitting all these double team combos on him. And eventually, Okada hit the landslide. Uh, Pile driver and Leo followed up with the final hour frog splash to get the win over the current junior champion going into the three way at Ryogoku. Yeah, there was also a. I, I liked just you know shortly before that where Leo Rush hit him with the uh, uh, Falcon Arrow, and then he tried to go for the final rush, and uh, Hiromu got his knees up. Is very. This was a very entertaining and and uh, worthwhile uh, main event on this night. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. But it, Leo Rush picking up the very much big and needed win here. Um, yeah. He did get on the mic afterwards and basically you know said, "Look who's crying now to Hiromu and. You know, basically said the cork and halls his home turf, and you know, um, you know, pretty much made it clear that he's going to be taking home that title uh, come next week. Yeah, very interesting promo. He's kind of doing this like laughing thing too. It was kind of kind of weird. So I'm not I'm not quite sure what direction where he's going with his character, but very, very uh, fire, passionate promo, and you know, saying he doesn't want Okada being the only one in chaos that has a title. So, very- and even still, as weird as the promo was. I'm I'm less bothered than your average Mike Bailey promo. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that takes us to the the following day, October first, also in Cork and Hall. Uh, the broadcast start major Cork and Hall show. Yes, major. The, I mean, the, this was the go home show for you. Go go home show. It's major. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of angles on the show. We opened the show up as it was coming on air. Evil. And how the torture were, were beating up Sonata in the crowd, uh, <laughs> just ragdolling this man uh, until the, the rest of uh, just four guys came out to make the save. Uh, so kind of a, a wild. You really don't see this a lot in New Japan. You never see this in New Japan. So this was very uh, unexpected and kind of gave a sense of unpredictability to the show. And, you know, I like when they do something a little unexpected and, and just kind of shake things up because while you might see something like this in a Western promotion all the time, um, and I, I'm not, you know, advocating that they do this on the regular in New Japan, every now and again, throwing a little, you know, a little bit of spice like this, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it mixes up these uh, Road to Destruction shows, and especially when this one being the last uh Big televised show before Ria Goku next week. This is this was the you know the quote unquote go home show. So doing this angle here, you know they've really been pushing this house of torture, just four guys, just five guys uh, feud, and obviously it's for the world title. So uh, kind of a wild chaotic way to start the show and get this angle. So that was kind of an interesting start. Speaking of angles and speaking of things that they don't normally do in New Japan, they continued that trend on uh, the next part of the show where we opened up with an arm wrestling contest between Tangaloa and Chase Owens, because I I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the Japanese domestic crowd was, they were flooding the message boards. They were all over X and they were saying, we need more Tangaloa and Chase Owens. The one match 
on you know destruction in, in Ryogoku. That's not enough. We need more. And they said, "All right, well, we got you covered." Arm wrestling challenge, and uh, you know we were the recipients of being able to see this glorious event. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, they came out, they had the whole, you know, arm wrestling table gimmick set up, and, you know, it's start- just like over the top. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, baby. Yeah, and then they started it, and Tangaloa immediately <laughs> defeated Chase Owens, and Chase was blaming, you know, the language barrier. He's like, you know, you said each Nissan. Like, no, say, say one, two, three. I, I don't know Japanese. So See, the thing is, is he didn't know what Ichi Nissan meant, just like the crowd. In Seattle last night, <laughs> didn't know what the fuck <laughs> Nissan was at all. Oh yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Chase, you know, blamed the language barrier for why he he lost the contest. So they restarted it, and so he, Chase he, he's going hard, and he thinks he has Tangaloa, and Tanga's selling it, and then he puts a big smile on his face, and then he's fighting back. Chase is using both arms, and he beats Chase again, and then he does he does it like ten more times, and. You know the definitive winner Tangaloa, uh, but then that led the the door open for the the Bull Club War Dogs to come out. Kid Coglin, uh, Drilla, Connors, Finley, they all came out and uh, laid waste Tangaloa. Yeah, they uh, pilmanized his arm, which was you know the the big uh, selling point of the angle, and it, it makes you wonder if what this is doing is adding a sense of drama to the match that they're supposed to have where, you know, Tangaloa is going to be trying to overcome the odds and will be fighting with like a cast, like, you know, Cowboy Bob Orton style, or is this a way for them to write off the match and not have to do it at all? And we might just be able to avoid having to see it next week entirely. Well, I mean, Tangaloa did make his way back for the main event. Um, he, did, he did take some more damage. We'll get to the main event. He took some more damage in the main event, but I think they're, they're still going to do the match. <laughs> right. Um, I, I was kind of holding out hope that this was going to make it, so it was a non-issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I, if you ask my opinion, uh, arm wrestling challenges are one of those things in pro wrestling that I'd rather just not see, generally speaking, but if you're going to do it, this was, I guess, pretty acceptable comedy. It didn't overstay its welcome. Right. It, and, was, it was essentially just a, it was an angle, super short, and, and led to the, the pilmanization of uh, Tangle. Pilmanization. <laughs> um, MJSPR asks, uh, is arm wrestling Enochism? I don't. I mean, maybe. He was a really big fan of um, uh, Scott Norton, and he was a arm wrestling champion, you know, different style fights. Scott, Scott Norton had a few of those. So maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't recall them ever having one of these in the past in new Japan that I can think of. Yeah. Neither can I. Um, so yeah. So yeah, bull club guys, they, they beat down uh Tangaloa into the arm. And then the rest of the uh, GOD and jet sitters come out to make the save. And also that left question in the mind, will Tangaloa be, able to compete in the big main event on this show so then uh following that we had the chaos team of tomohiro ishii and toriano defeating bullock olten and oscar lube seven minutes at 30 seconds it's weird how oscar and bolton oleg are so big but to me ishii's bigger than both of them even though he's not bigger than either of them he's to me he's bigger than both of them <laughs> I don't know, man. When he was in there with Oscar Lube, I 
like, dude, Slube guy, man, monster. The way I was watching, I was like, damn, Oscar's got his work cut out for him. He's in there with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is fun to match up, man. Oscar, man, he was chopping the crap out of Ishii. Was really fired up here, getting all of Benishi's face throughout this matchup, but uh, was not able to uh, get the win here. Yeah, Yano was barely in the match. He let Ishii do almost all the heavy lifting here and pretty much beat both young boys by by himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ishii hit the, uh, the sliding lariat on uh, Oscar to get the win here. So then following that, we had the team of Hinare and Jeff Cobb defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi and Yuto Nakashima. Eight minutes and 56 seconds. Pretty fun matchup. Um, you know, Cobb sort of having to rebound from the loss that he just suffered against Naito, Hanari building up to his challenge of the strong open weight championship. And then, you know, Tanahashi is trying to build a little bit of a um, momentum leading into his next uh, never six man open weight tag team title defense. Unfortunately, they teamed him up with uh, Yuto Nakashima. So <laughs> uh, any momentum he wanted to build here, it was uh, not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Chris Charlton did mention on commentary that Yuto Nakashima is, you know, kind of been Tanahashi's kind of little personal young lion in the dojo, kind of been the one kind of, you know, carrying the bags and, and taking care of, of Tanahashi. Of course. <laughs> look, at, look at him, look at his build and characteristics, and then think of who were Tanahashi's last two young lion, uh, you know, personal assistants. Suji uh, and, o- and Okan. Yeah, Suji and Okan, the beefy boys. Like, that's what Tanahashi loves. <laughs> Tanahashi loves the beef. <laughs> you, you didn't even, if they had never told me that Yuto Nakashima was his personal young lion, I would have already known that just based off of his, you know, proclivities. <laughs> so, yeah, Yuto obviously trying to impress the ace here. Uh, he tried his best, but Hanare took him out with the, the rampage tackle, that spear, and gets, gets the win here. So following that, we had Shingo Takagi and Yota Suji defeating the team of Callum Newman and Great Okan, seven minutes and 24 seconds. Do you see the vision? Do you Dude, see we, the vision? We've, we've been seeing the vision. We called this like months ago that Shingo and Suji are probably going to be teaming in World Tag League. And they, got a, they got an incredible finish and everything. Yeah, what, what are they called? The Pumping Blaster? I don't know, but it, it's Shingo hitting his pumping bomber while uh, Yota Suji hits his spear. I don't know what the name of his spear is. His spear's a gene blaster. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't know that. That's funny. So, yeah, yeah the know, pumping blaster. Pumping blaster, that's, baby. That's weird. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, they hit that on uh, Newman and uh, picked up the win here. It's very clear that they're going to be strong contenders going into World Tag League at this point. Yeah, I thought Newman once again looked really great here. Again, super fast, great kicks. Um, kind of reminds me of a, a young Fergal Devitt in a way, the way he kind of moves and some of the kicks he does. Um, but yeah, he he's looking great, and I think if he keeps it up, man, he's definitely going to be a, a player for New Japan. So uh, following that, we had Jeff Cobb joining Charlton on the desk for commentary. And then that led into match number five in the best of seven series. And this time it was Team Nagata getting the win here over Team Strong Style. Yeah, um, another really, really great match between uh, 
Narita's team or uh, uh, strong style with Minoru Suzuki, Desperado, and Narita taking on uh, Team Nagata. And, you know, the big thing here was uh, Team Blue Justice. They kind of needed to pick up the win here. Otherwise, they were going to fall to a point where they couldn't maintain, you know, their purpose for even being in the series after this. Right, and um, the kind of story here focuses a lot on Master Watto and El Desperado. We know they've had a rivalry kind of going back for a while now, and Desperado just really hates Master Watto. And Watto obviously still kind of trying to prove himself, even after winning uh, Super Juniors this year. You know, there's still people kind of doubting him, and he wants to prove himself, and really wants to beat El Desperado to prove that he is a top guy in the division. So he was able to do that here. Uh, hitting uh, the big uh, Rosita Mente on uh, Desperado to get the win. Yeah, Desperado, from about the seven-minute mark on, really focused almost all of his attacks on Watto's uh, leg, hitting him with, like, leg lariats and uh, damaging the knees. And, you know, he was definitely trying to go for the uh, stretch muffler leg lock. What's he called that? The uh, uh, the Pinche Loco. Pinche Loco. Or is it the Numero Dos? Oh, you're right. Numero, yeah, Pinja is, is the, uh, the angel wings. Yeah, and that was pretty much his game plan. Um, but ultimately, Watto was able to hit modified Uranage and then, uh, you know, pinned him kind of out of nowhere to pick up the pinfall victory here. So um, even though he picked up the win, and it's not the first time he's been able to do that, I can't recall him ever, like, besting desperado you know he kind of just survives him and and finds creative ways to to pick up victories in multi-man matches yeah so he's really kind of presented to be on uh, desperado's level here so good for Watto, and that that brings a series up now to two two and one and uh so there's uh two more matches left in the series here which is kind of weird because the first match obviously they had that 30 minute time limit draw I'm assuming that what's going to happen is because whoever wins the next match would basically put themselves in a predicament where they can't lose. Right. So, because then if the other team wins the final match, then they're tied or if they, you know, or if they win two times in a row, then it's over. So the math isn't really mathing. I'm I'm thinking what has to happen in this next match for it to even make sense. They have to go to another draw. Yeah, I'll probably do that unless they're going to end the whole series in a draw and they do a, an eighth match. To but even that wouldn't make sense. So they're at two, two, and one right now. So if one of them picks up a win, then they're then they're putting themselves in a position where one team is ahead going into the final match and the best they can do is either tie or lose. You know yeah. what I mean? They yeah. can't, they can't, the other, the other team who's down going into the final match can't win. So the only way you can really rectify this it, based on my assumption is they have to go to a draw of some sorts. It might not even be a time limit draw. You know what they probably should do? They should probably do like Double some sort DQ. of no, like a no contest. Like, Everything just falls apart, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe the final match at the pay-per-view, they throw a uh, a stipulation on, on the match of some sort. Yeah, they definitely do that because post-match here, you know, you had Suzuki running around like a wild man. He, he asked a fan for their chair. He had a chair, and he was swinging it around, <laughs> taking people out. So, yeah, they definitely could the next match. Make it super heated, have them, yeah, it's brawling all throughout the arena, and the referee throws it out. 
That would make a lot more sense to me than anything else. And um, the, is the next match, that's not going to make tape, is it? Um, Yeah, I'm not sure. What, actually, yeah, match number six is not going to make tape because we jumped to match seven for uh, Destruction and Ryogoku. So I think that would be an easy way for them to be like, they don't even have to air that match necessarily, but they can just put the news bulletin up like, they had this match and it fell apart within a few minutes and now it's leading to us doing blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And then they walk in two, two and two and then yeah, winner takes all. Or they could do the time limit draw again, if that's what they want to do for, you know, the non-televised audience. But I think it would make more sense for them to, to do a no contest of some sort or, or, or a double count out or a double DQ. And then we get, you know, some sort of stipulation on the final match. Yeah. So then uh, next matchup, we had the chaos team of Kazuchika Okada, Leo Rush, and Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi filling in for Yo on this match as well. They defeated the LJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, um, a a very good preview match. Um, It it is kind of interesting at this point in time to see Okada and Naito on opposite sides where, you know, um, I don't think we're going to be seeing them anytime soon, but it kind of feels like down the road that we might be going back to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, post-match, we had hilarious thing here where Hiromu's like punching the air thing. It's speedball <laughs> trying to, you know, show what he's going to do to speedball Mike Bailey. So that was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, another good preview again. I think Leo and Hiromi were the, were the highlights here uh, of this matchup. So, lots. yeah, it's it's very clear that like Leo rushes in Hiromu's head and kind of under his skin here. Yeah, yeah, he's driving Hiromu crazy. <laughs> uh, so that led us to the semi main event of the evening. We had the House of Torture Evil Show, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Yujiro Takahashi defeating. Just four guys of Doki, Sanada, Taichi, and Takamichinoku. Three minutes in 22 seconds. Uh, pretty bad, but it was short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Evil, he got on the mic, told the crowd that Sonata was not going to be able to wrestle tonight due to the you know the attack at the beginning of the show. Uh, but then the rest of just four guys ran in and started the match, brawling, and then Sonata came with them as well. So kind of a wild, kind of crazy brawl to start the matchup until... It got back in the ring, and um, you know, Taichi had the big kind of stare down with Kanamaru, and that's kind of the, the weak spot for uh, Taichi. You know, that that was his boy, man. You know, he just he, he didn't want to. He's been having a hard time going at him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was I was kind of hoping Taka would get another pinfall victory here, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, Kanamaru hits a low blow on Taka, gets the quick roll up one two three, has a torture wins. And uh, Kanemaru, you know, he's he's enjoying this House of Torture style. He's he's got new gear. Uh, apparently, he he got a big payday from these guys to to jump ship. So, yeah, I mean, it would only make sense that you know, in kayfabe, you you, you make a shift like that, it comes along with the bag. So he secured <laughs> it. Um, Sonata did get on the mic afterwards though and said that just to be clear, they're going to be just five guys again soon. So making it very clear that as Taichi hinted the day prior that a new teammate is on his way. Yeah, lots of speculation. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we preview Ryugoku, uh, but it should be interesting to see who the, the fifth guy will be. 
So then the main event, we had a 12-man tag team elimination match with Gorillas of Destiny, ELP, Hikaleo, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa teaming up with the intergalactic jet setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Al Coughlin, Chase Owens, Clark Connors, David Finley, Drilla, Maloney, and Gabe Kidd. 26 minutes and 53 seconds. Um, You know, as far as like uh, multi-man elimination uh, tag team matches go, I wouldn't say this was the best, but I thought it was pretty solid. And, uh, you know, a good preview for the, the upcoming matches between all these different respective opponents. Yeah, it was a really uh, fun matchup. We had some um, Kofiism here with some of the, the eliminations where um, ELP, he got thrown over top, but he landed on the guardrail, and then he was trying to use Hikaleo to hop back in, but Clark Connors hit the Jeep flip on him on the outside to make it to the floor. And then uh, Kevin Knight also got thrown out, but he got somehow got on the stage and then got on Kushida's uh, shoulders to get back in the ring, hit a huge springboard. So uh, kind of a little goofy, yeah, some, you know, WWEism there, but it, it was still a fun matchup. Um, lots of great action here, uh, interesting uh, eliminations here. And it all came down to uh, Tamatonga. He was uh, in a two-on-one situation with, uh, Finley and who was the other guy that was in there with uh, Finley? Um, mm. I think it was a uh, no, it wasn't Kid. Kid, Kid um, I think it was Chase. Yeah, it was Chase and uh, Finley, and then uh, Tama got rid of Chase, and then it came. That's down right, because Chase hit the package pile driver on Tangaloa. Yeah, uh, so it came down to the Finley and uh, Tama Tonga, and then at one point the ref was distracted. Gabe Kid ran and hit the pile driver on Tama Tonga, but. Uh, Finley couldn't get the win there, and then eventually uh, Tama was able to uh, hit the gun stun across the rope that sent Finley to the outside, and G.O.D. got the win. Yeah, um, post-match, Finley ran over, grabbed his belt, and uh, said, you know, you're going to have to fucking kill me to take this, and, uh, you know, held the belt over his head, and Tama Tonga cut an endearing baby face promo, um, talking about his highs and his lows, and you know, uh, pretty much just endearing the crowd to him. Yeah, saying, yeah, telling them he loves them and stuff like that. So, fun uh, match in the show here. Uh, question from Rambo Slam Pigs. I enjoyed the elimination tag main event on Sunday's show. Other than the famous UWF versus NJPW elimination tag, are there any other notable ones you would recommend? Yeah, I saw this question. I thought it was a great question. So, I wanted to uh, recommend a few. Um, I think in my opinion, and you know, I'm sure there's probably some really good ones from like the nineties too, but I feel like the eighties were sort of the heyday of this style of match, but, um, there's, (laughs) there's a lot of them. Well, a couple things I would recommend if you, if you want to find these on your own, um, in Google, I'd recommend that you look for the DVD VR that's death Valley driver video review. Um, DVD VR 1980s New Japan and if you look that up um, you can find the old um, 1980s project that uh, Chris Harrington and all those guys from Pro Wrestling Only and all that did and you'll find a list of some of the the 100 best uh, New Japan matches from the 80s Um, the other thing you could also do is if you go to Cage Match you look up Match Guide you put in the word 
elimination and then uh, limit the search to New Japan, it'll give you a list of some of the top-rated um, elimination-style tag team matches. But I'll give you a few that you guys can uh, look at. So um, one of the really famous ones, um, August 19th, 1987, that's Akira Maeda, Kengo Kimura, Ricky Chosu, Choshu, Super Strong Machine, and Tatsumi Fujinami taking on Anoki, Hoshino, Kijimuto, Sakaguchi, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Um, there's one from September 12th, 1988. Saito, Kobayashi, Saito, Choshu, and Super Strong Machine taking on Kichi Yamada, Kengo Kimura, Shiro Koshinaka, Tatsumi Fujinami, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Um, there's a a bunch of other really great ones. The, the 1986 one that you mentioned, that's the uh, the UWF versus uh, New Japan one that's really famous. That one's really fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, and I would say if you're looking for more than just what I recommended, there there's quite a few more out there. Um, maybe look at some of the resources that I just mentioned. Nice. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, uh, let's transition now into our preview of Destruction in Ria Goku coming up next Monday, October 9th from Ria Goku Sumo Hall. Show will open up with House of Torture, Show, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Yujiro Takahashi versus just five guys. It'll be Doki, Taichi, and the reveal of the mystery man, the, the new fifth member of just five guys. And we had a question here from um, Jace, uh, JSK2002. What would be your best scenario for who the fifth member of J5G is, and what is the worst outcome you can think of? <laughs> um, so I think it would be really, really cool. Um, I think that the, the name that everyone is hoping that it is, is they're hoping that it's the return of you and Mora, right? That would be really cool. The other name that I think would be super interesting if it was even possible, and I don't know how possible it is, but if it were to be 
Um, God, what's wrong with me? I'm forgetting names here. Who just left Noah? Uh, Naka, Nakajima. Yeah, if Nakajima were to be the guy, I think that could be like hypothetically maybe your best case scenario. Worst case scenario, there's another free agent that just hit the market, and that's uh, <laughs> um, fucking uh, Sammy Callahan. That would be like your worst case scenario. No, worst case would be top dollar. <laughs> that would not happen. That's not even a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> oh man what would you do if it was like Nick Nemeth that would be very weird I mean <laughs> I'd be it'd be whatever I mean Nick Nemeth aka Dolph Ziggler is a great wrestler you know maybe he'd be motivated um it'd be something different but uh, I don't know <laughs> just five guys he's he's actually not a guy He's a bro. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know a lot of people are thinking it could be Yamora. A question from uh, Death Triangle 720. Do you think if it is you just ret- do you think you just returning on Monday, would it be too early? Too, I don't know what, well, what do you mean too early? He's been gone for a long time. Yeah, he's been over here in the States for uh, quite some time in Excursion. I think it's, yeah, it's about time this man comes back. I don't think it's likely, likely, but I would love for it to be Katsuhiko Nakajima. Yeah, I think that's a name. I know people have kind of expected him just coming to New Japan in general, uh, but uh, I think, yeah, that would also be kind of a great way to get Nakajima plugged into New Japan if he's coming over, get him in a faction right away and kind of being the, you know, the new fifth guy. Like, you know, uh, we didn't break the news last week on the show because we literally right after we got done recording the news broke that he was pretty much going to be a free agent. He was leaving and, you know, he's kind of talking about how he's got interest in working over in the States, maybe for, you know, the, the big speculation is maybe WWE, maybe AEW. And so everyone is pretty much saying he's not coming into new, to new Japan. And given the current state in the wrestling, um, you know, industry, that might very well be the case. But we've seen this before. We've seen guys leave Noah and be like, oh, no, I'm not jumping to New Japan. I'm going to. I'm going to the U.S. Yeah. I'm going to the U.S. And then they go to New Japan. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm hoping I'm hoping that's what happens here. Yeah. Fall falls at a Taiji Ishimori playbook. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who ends up being the new fifth guy. And I'll be the, the opener for the show. Uh, following that, we'll have the anticipated Tangaloa versus Chase Owens singles match, and I can't wait to watch Tangaloa sell his arm throughout this match. That's what you're excited for? I'm excited for Chase Owens to work the arm. That's what I'm excited for. <laughs> uh, Fuck I, a sell. Let's talk about some heat. I also want to see, uh, you know, the, the famous Tangaloa, you know, huh, huh. <laughs> He's not going to be able to do that spot because he's going to have to do it with the bad side. It's going to be less effective. <laughs> he he did it on um, the September 30th show, and Hanari on commentary was just hilarious. He's like, oh, man, look at that combo. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's killing him. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like when John Cena unveiled like the sixth move of Doom. And it was that back fist. Yeah, what was it? The uh, I don't know. Uh, something Fury or something, Hidden Fury or something like that. 
I don't know. Oh, but it, it just feels like a rib. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's a rib on us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and following that, we'll have uh, Bushi, Shingo, Takagi, Tetsuya Naito, and Yota Suji taking on Callum Newman, Great Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb. This will be fun, um, and it'll be good, but it, this is going to be like the eighth or ninth time we've seen a variation of this match on this tour. Hopefully, it's the last time we see something like this for a little while. I get the strong feeling that you know, this is going to continue to build the potential tag team of um, Shingo and Yotasuji for Tag League. Um, is there anything else that we could see on the other side? Obviously, Naito is carrying the, the, the Wrestle Kingdom contract. Are, are we expecting any sort of angle to come out of this? I don't see anybody over there that could potentially challenge him or anything but you know um where is will osprey yeah i'll see osprey was in uh the in seattle this weekend for wrestle dream um so yeah i'm not sure well obviously osprey has saber next uh for royal quest three right um so i'm not sure what they're if they could do something there of him and naito but yeah i don't really see anything else there um, also, you could um, heat up um, Cobb and Hanare or Hanare and Okan, whatever the team's going to be for UE for World Tag League. Uh, so maybe you have those guys do their double team. We, we still have a power struggle coming, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, November. Yep. So hypothetically, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility that post-match something could potentially pop off. Maybe even if, if it, not even like a major thing, but you know, uh, a little breadcrumb for for whatever Naito's next program might need to be for Power Struggle, just hypothetically. Yeah. So then following that, we'll have the first title match of the evening, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line, the Bullet Club War Dogs team of Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney will defend against the intergalactic jet setters of Kevin Knight and Kushida. Was there something that I didn't see it, but I saw people commenting something happened backstage with Clark Connors and Drill and Maloney, and they were talking about can they coexist? Were they having issues? Uh, can Kevin, were they saying can Kevin Knight and Kushida coexist? No, can Clark Connors and Drill and Maloney? I wasn't sure if they were having issues or something backstage. Yeah, I didn't see any of the backstage, um, commentary or backstage interviews for either of the the road to show so uh i didn't see any issues between connor's maloney maybe there was something that happened backstage i know they were on the losing end i think both those corkins so maybe there was some words exchange i'm not sure okay gotcha maybe i'll have to go back and check that out i was uh counting on you to know (laughs) 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 um We've seen the intergalactic jet setters already hold these titles, even if it was just for a brief period. They could go back to them. Um, you know, we're getting ready to head into the uh, into the junior tag uh, league, but I don't really see a, a good reason necessarily to put the titles on the intergalactic jet setters, um, other than the reason that. It is the junior titles. They do hot potato them quite a bit. Yeah, we did see a prolonged um, title reign not too long ago with Catch 2-2. 
Um, but that's more the exception than the the rule. We're used to kind of seeing these titles traded around. So it's very possible that they might go back to intergalactic jet setters for no reason other than that's just what they do. Uh, keep it moving, keep it fresh. But I sort of feel like the better move is just to keep it on Clark Connors and Drill Maloney, give them a little bit of juice leading into the uh, um, into the the tag tournament because I don't I don't see Clark Connors and uh, or I'm sorry I don't see Kevin Knight and Kushida as necessarily being strong champions going into that tournament and I think they fit the role of like the last challengers to lose and then go into the tournament and you kind of know that they're sort of out of the running at that point. Yeah, or you, you can kind of do a redemption arc where they, they lose the defense and then they make it a goal to win Junior Tag League and they, they win to get their redemption shot and eventually beat uh, Drilla and Clark. You could do that, and if you did do that, there would be a little bit more reason to have faith and investment in them as a team at that point. Because right now, there's not much other than just the fact that they've got a few isolated wins over the champions in various different means. But, um, you know, again, I, I, I'm still a little baffled about Kushida's use in this company entirely since his return from excursion or, <laughs> you know, his, his long, uh, you know, excursion to New York. Yeah. His vacation up North. Yeah. Uh, and I think he spent a little time in Florida, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it's weird that this is the best utilization they have of him is putting him in this tag team with Kevin Knight, which I like Kevin Knight, and I, I think the tag team's cool, but sort of a makeshift tag team, and they haven't done anything else with, with Kushida, like, at all. Yeah, it's so weird, because when he came back, you know, they kind of threw him right into like, the junior title mix, and then he got hand, foot, and mouth disease, came back, and then... Just, they yeah, threw him together. Kevin Knight, he's doing this junior tag thing. He's wrestling on Impact. He's wrestling on MLW. Um, yeah, kind of a, a weird usage of him. Maybe it's one of those things where, like, they don't fuck around. Like, you get hand, foot, and mouth disease, <laughs> and they're just like, yo, he's dirty. <laughs> uh, you know, that's okay for the junior titles, but, you know, he's not touching that prestigious you know, IWGP junior title. It's not it's <laughs> below him. So you think, so you're going to go with, uh, war, I, I war dogs. War dogs. I think war dogs. I think they make the most sense as like a strong, uh, you know, power junior tag team. That's also, you know, bruiser heels going into the, the tag league. I think that makes more sense. Yeah. Then uh, after that, we'll have the final match in the best of seven series between Team Blue Justice, Master Wato, Shota Umino, and Yuji Nagata, and Strong Style, El Sparato, Minorosuke, and Ren Narita. I think that what this is all basically leading to is the big win for Shota Umino. Just based on the fact that up to this point, maybe I could be, maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't recall any of these matches focusing on him getting the big win just yet. And he kind of feels like the big star of his team anyways. Um, so I'm assuming, I, I think that the idea that we kind of threw out there that they're going to wind up doing some sort of gimmick match for the final. I think that that's highly likely. I wouldn't be surprised if this is uh, like a no DQ match, 
you know? Yeah. Um, I think that that's probably, or like a street fight of some sort or something like that. Um, and I'm expecting for Shota Umino to be the one standing tall at the end of it all. Yeah. And maybe this one will lead to Umino and Nagata and Wato challenging the winners of the Never Six Man title match. Oh, yeah. Very, very possible. So then the following match, we'll have the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team Title Match. The War Dog Team of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd will defend those titles against the G.O.D. Team of El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. Wait, you didn't say who you thought was going to win. Oh, um, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Blue Justice. Now, you said that you thought the winners of this match could potentially challenge for the six-man titles. Yeah. Is it not more likely from that angle that Strong Style should be the winner since they're like a, a formal unit? From that side, yes. But, you know, there's also the whole story that they've kind of went away from a little bit of the younger guys trying to beat Okada. And you kind, mm. of, you kind of already had Strong Style and Narita try that. So you could switch now to Umino being the one to step up and one to beat Okada. Oh, I forgot that Strong Style even had that match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at this point, yeah. Okay. So I guess that, that kind of emboldens my prediction a little bit more. So now I feel even stronger that it's going to be like Team Nagata. Yeah. And maybe you even have Umino pull the ups in like pin Ishii to, to win the, the six-man titles eventually. Hmm. Okay. Um, going back to the match that you brought up. So, uh, Bull Club War Dogs versus God. This one is. I'm still kind of a little bit like on the fence uh, with this one. Like, I like. I really like Coglin and Kid as a tag team. Um, but I, I still kind of feel like they haven't given enough spotlight to them as a whole. They've given them some pretty cool opportunities, but. Um, they they somehow still sort of feel a bit afterthoughtish, which isn't great. Um, Kid has made it very much known on this uh, most recent string of shows that like he's not a man to be trifled with. Like he's a crazy. I'm mother. a madman. Yeah, he's a madman. <laughs> um, but I don't I don't know if I'm totally buying the ELP Hikaleo tag team. Even if they put them over, even if they put the titles on them, like they just feel like an oddball pairing to me still. Yeah, it seems. I mean, ELP and God is just really weird. It doesn't fit to me, other than the fact that they're for, they're all foreigners. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I I would keep the the tiles on uh, Kid and Coglin. I mean, I'm not like trying to say you shouldn't put the t- like. I don't. I, far be it for me to be like, yeah, G, you know, God. They're not going to put any asses in seats. Like, it's not like that. <laughs> um. But I just, I don't know. The team just feels weird to me. Like, they don't feel like a, a good, cohesive fit. Um, at the same time, do I think that both Bullet Club tag teams should be retaining their tag belts on the same night? Um, I kind of get the feeling that of the two matches, this is the one, like, they might just put the titles on Hikaleo and, and uh, ELP, like, just you know, just to do something new. Yeah. And, you know, it's a strong tag team title. If, if you want to open up Kid and Coglin for, you know, World Tag League and focus on 
the heavyweight tag team titles like that, and you want to put them in that direction, yeah, getting the belts off of them here could be a good thing for them. I I think Coughlin and Kid, there. I don't think there there's any reason in the world that they shouldn't be pushed as a major top-notch tag team in this company, given the fact that, yes, New Japan has done better in recent years booking and pushing tag teams. They're, it, it's no secret that they're not a top-end tag team territory, you know? And so for that reason, like, one, one way you can get any act over in short order is to push them to the top of the the tag team divisions. I mean, think about it. Just a few years ago, we saw Chase Owens and and Bad Luck Fale as one of the top tag teams <laughs> in the entire industry. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't see. Look at look at how talented and and marketable those two guys are. I don't see any reason that they shouldn't be pushed as the top Gaijin tag team in the entire company. Um, I think that they should be like vying for that honor with TMDK uh, at this point. So yeah, I think they should be pushed heavily in World Tag League, and I I don't think that I think that like a finals berth is not. I think that that would be very fitting and and probably appropriate. I yeah. don't, but at the same time, I don't have faith in this company that they're going to do that because they haven't pushed them like that to this point. Right, yeah, I think yeah, War Dogs for Suji and Shingo final would be great. That would um, be incredible. That would be exciting. Yeah, totally fresh. Yeah, final two new teams. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned that they, they haven't really given these guys the full on push yet um, to where they're really dominating. Obviously, they've they've looked good. Uh, they're always you know tearing stuff up with the War Dogs and that this new attitude. But yeah, they haven't had that kind of key victory yet or that's just kind of the key kind of thing where it's like all right these guys are the ace tag team um, well they've also been off the tour for quite a while and i don't know if that's because god's also been off of the tour as well uh, up until these most recent string of shows but you know i would have liked to seen all of them um a bit more leading up to all this but um yeah i'm I'm going to be rooting for Bull Club War Dogs, but I kind of get the weird feeling that they're going to do a title switch here and and put the title on ELP and Hikaleo. They 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 gave Hikaleo that push during the G1. He he was the guy that won his block and uh ELP almost won his block and everything like that and Yeah, and plus I feel like ELP it's really needs a, a big win to train face. He really hasn't been able to He hasn't had a big one yet. Yeah, so they probably yeah, it just makes now we talk about it more. Yeah, I think it makes more sense to have a uh, ALP and Hikaleo go over here. Uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me. So I think that's what's happening. So after that, we'll have the never open weight six man tag team title match. Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroshi Tanahashi will defend against the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin, and their partner, the walking weapon, Josh Alexander. Sometimes your really deep Puro freaks, like your your Shinihan freaks, the ones that are deep, deep in the weeds, they have to find ways to like build narratives around their favorite stars or build narratives around their favorite stories or even title runs, right? And yeah. they'll 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 formulate this headcanon of why 
you know, Jay White's title run was so blah, 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 or, or whatever. With these never six-man tag team titles, ever since they got on this team, you don't got to do any of that. You just got to look at the the teams they're facing and the results, and it's very plain as day. This They're doing weird shit, and it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're facing a lot of different teams in a lot of different situations, and point in case this one. Yeah, I think it's like you, you use your trios titles, you put it on a, a strong set of guys, a strong set of champions, and then you create some of these like it's wacky. I don't even know if wacky is the right word, but it's some of these kind of off the wall trios out of nowhere, like Guns and Josh Alexander, like three great wrestlers. Also, the Guns are a great tag team, and throwing Josh Alexander in there. Um, yeah, you put together some great trios like this, or you know, like the the New Japan Dad Team they challenged before. Like, there's so many different ways you can go with these titles, and then different teams, different promotions. Uh, so their title runs have been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, they're they're a hundred at this point. I'm looking on Cage Match, 153 days in as champions currently at the time of this recording. They defeated uh, Strong Style to win the belts. Then they defended the titles against. The Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio, John Moxley, and Shoto Mino. That was an incredible match. And then they faced the third generation New Japan dads and in T- in Tenzan, Tiger Mask, and Togi Makabe. And now they're taking on a team of, you know, impact wrestling standouts. So they went from like, you know, this kind of group to this kind of group to this kind of group to this kind of group. It's all very different from one another, and it's all been pretty fun and interesting and energetic. I bet you the deal was something like this. Like uh, Okada was like, well, if I'm not going to be in the title picture, we got to find something else cool for me to do. Like, well, we could give you the never titles. He's like, I'll do it, but I'm picking my opponents. (laughs) I want (laughs) to wrestle my friends from Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I want to wrestle these guys from – um uh, tony conlin i want to wrestle these guys from uh impact and you know what let's throw tens on a bone (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like that's that's how this shit went down and um i'm loving it yeah and and like you mentioned too there's a little bit of a story element here um tanahashi losing to alex shelley at the multi-verse united two show this past august like you mentioned earlier, Tanahashi wants to get the victory here. He wants to uh, get the win back over Alex Shelley. So a little bit, little bit of story there. You know what Tanahashi's like? You what? ever hear about like when gamblers lose and then they they like double down to try to win the money back and they just keep losing, <laughs> they keep going deeper down in the hole. Yeah. Like he was like, I have to win the world title this year, and then he loses his world title shot. I have to win the AEW world title. To redeem myself and then he loses that he's the g1 gotta win that shit so i can get back to the pedestal and then he lost that. he's like the impact world title <laughs> i gotta be able to win that right <laughs> and then he didn't win it. he's like i gotta beat one of those guys in the six-man tag team match <laughs> you know he thinks he's going to like climb back up the mountain but he's just descending like slowly we're watching it happen <laughs> So sad. And you can tell his his goals are changing in real time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty cool to have uh, Josh Alexander in Japan for the first time. You know, he's done some New Japan Strong shows uh, in America, and when they were doing the weekly uh, TV stuff, uh, well, first time touring for New Japan. Uh, this should be a lot of fun. He he's a great wrestler. I thought he was great on the Strong stuff. I think he'll be great here. 
all all three of those guys are fantastic from Impact, the Motor City Machine Guns and Josh Alexander, and we already know how awesome the Chaos slash Tanahashi team is. So uh, this is one that I'm really looking forward to. Also, um, you know, there's the whole thing with Okada where, you know, for those that are not aware, he spent his first uh, excursion uh, a, a period of it anyways in impact wrestling and like they botched his run with their company so so badly that it uh, effectively severed the tna impact um, partnership for years and years and years up until just a few years ago so um that's there's also a little bit of um added kayfabe story there too where it's like you know he he was in tna and he hates TNA. And now he gets a chance to beat the ass of TNA. <laughs> right. Um, and kind of behind the scenes, I mean, Alex Shelley uh, was one of his good friends during that excursion period in Orlando. So kind of good friends with that guy. And it's, I'm sure he's looking forward to wrestling him. I, and of, of any of the pairings that I'm most excited for, it's going to be Josh Alexander and Ishii. Oh, like, yes. Going toe to toe. That's going to be sick. It's going to be incredible. So yeah, that'd be a fun match. I'm gonna go with uh, all the, the champs retaining here. I think the champs retain too. So then, uh, following that, we'll have the never open weight title match: David Finley defending the title against Tama Tonga. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm, 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 I'm kind of over the whole Finley Tama Tonga feud. Uh, yeah, hope, hopefully this is definitive. <laughs> yeah. Like, which, hopefully this is it for them. Which means Finley has to win, right? I, no, not necessarily. Like, if Tamatonga wins, then hypothetic. I mean, realistically, David Finley being the leader of the Bullet Club shouldn't be the Never Champion. He should be aiming for much higher goals like the U.S. slash U.K. title or the world title. The Never title should kind of be like a a step beneath him. He should be able to fail up in theory. Right. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know if, if they see it that way. Right. And I just don't know if this is the the right time in the calendar year for, for him to fail up. Yeah. We're getting to that crunch time where you kind of have to ask yourself, like, where are all these guys going to land come January 4th? Um, So that's, that's another thing to think about. And, I kind of think that way when I look at this matchup and I wonder to myself, what would I like to see either of these guys doing come Wrestle Kingdom time? And while I've given a lot of praise on both of them for their improvements and presentation, I think that most of what they've done post G1 or even during the G1 in some cases has been a little lacking. Yeah. And so I'm just not that invested in this, and I feel like we've seen it a bit much. Um, I'm personally indifferent to whoever wins it. I'm just, I'm really just hoping that the follow up for both guys is stronger than what this uh, program in and of itself has been so far. Yeah, because this program has been kind of weird. I think it's due to like their kind of schedule. Because a lot of times, like Finley and Tamatonga go missing from tours for like, long periods of time. Well, the other thing, too, is like, you know, Tamatanga, his entire existence has really been um, uh, defined by the Bullet Club outside of the small pockets of 
feuds that he's had with uh, Okada around the G1 seasons, his entire existence has been basically revolving around Bull Club, whether that was when he was in the Bull Club, then he was ousted from the Bull Club, and then he had to get revenge on uh, Jay White. Then he had to face the Good Brothers and, and Carl Anderson and get his revenge. And then he had to get revenge on on um, uh, David Finley. And that's kind of been the story of his year. And now you're kind of like, all right, well, if you beat David Finley, what, what do you got next? Is there any creative that we can get for the good guy Tamatonga that has nothing in any way, shape, or form to do with two sweet, four life, <laughs> bullet club, good brothers? Like any like can we do can we do something different on any level? Let's do it. Like I'm ready for him to just not I don't want him to be involved with Bullet Club in any way, shape, or form. And I would like for David Finley as the leader of the bull club to do some leader type shit. You know, I don't think that he should be involved in a mid card feud for a mid card title with Tamatonga. And that's not even, I'm not even saying this in a, in a negative way on both of them. I don't think that this feud does favors for either guy personally. I think that if if you're going to make this guy, the leader of the bull club, and that's the, the way you wanted to go, then he needs to be fighting Osprey Saber Tanahashi, Naito, Okada, people like that. Sonata. Those are the types of guys you need to be having him in there with. And if you if you don't want to do that, don't make him leader of Bullet Club. But if he's going to be the leader of Bullet Club, put him in the fucking main event. Yeah, he, he needs to be elevated. Um, I mean, he's kind of, I feel like he was already kind of past the never title kind of scene being there so long. And now he's leading a faction. Like you think they would have tried to jump him up a little bit higher, like you mentioned, that U.S. slash U.K. scene or making him a world title challenger. Um, so, yeah, I think that with this whole Bull Club and War Dogs and Finley takeover, I think to really kind of stamp that approval there, make that really stand out, I think him um, losing here could be good for that. So that way he can move on and he could face some other really top guys and potentially get a, a big singles match at Wrestle Kingdom. The other thing too is that I feel like the Never title has kind of just been a, a non-important title all year long ever since that Carl Anderson debacle at the end of last year yeah. where this was supposed to be, you know, at a certain point it was envisioned that this would actually kind of replace the IC title and be the number two belt in the company. And for a short period, it did sort of feel like that was the case, but um, you know, it, it's fallen beneath that station at this point and i i also would like to see you know matches that elevate the titles importance and and you know people to be invested in it again and i don't feel like this is a match that does that either um ultimately i feel like the best case scenario is tamatunga wins putting a final ceiling stamp on his feud so he can have closure and move on and do something un bullet club related. And, um, you know, uh, I would like for David Finley to try and rebuild and fail up and do something different and maybe bigger. Yeah. I think that that makes um, a ton of sense and uh, would be the best thing for Finley to kind of, you know, his, for his career growth and his role as book club leader. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean, he could retain the title and go into, uh, 
January 4th as the champion, that's fine. But then you sort of leave uh, Tamatonga in this place where like he s- still needs to beat the Bullet Club out of his system or whatever. And then it's, <laughs> and yeah. then it's like, well, what does Dave, who does David Finley defend this title against that's going to have any sort of like real importance or value or meaning? And maybe, maybe they could set something up between now and then. I don't know, but I, I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. So uh, following that, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title three-way match. Hiromu Takahashi, the champion, defending against Speedball Mike Bailey and the bad child Leo Rush. It's pretty rare when you're looking at a major New Japan pay-per-view where you feel very confident that an undercard match, even the semi-main event, is for sure going to be the top match because you always sort sort of have to wonder how the, the you know main event is going to perform. But I feel very confident that even if this isn't the match of the night, which it likely will be, it's going to outshine and outperform the main event in stride. So uh, <laughs> this is the match I'm most looking forward to: Hiromu defending the title against both Speedball Mike Bailey and Leo Rush, two men who both held victories over him during the best of the super juniors this year. Um, you know, Leo rush has also gotten a big pinfall victory over him uh, just very recently in, in road two matches. Hiromu still aiming to break the all time defense record for the IWGP title. Although we've heard him get a lot less vocal about that <laughs> yeah. in recent times. So it sounds, it seems like if there was a time to switch the title, this might be that time. I'm all in on um, Leo Rush, man. This guy, he's looked incredible. The tour, the been on tour, all the preview stuff of him and Hiromu has been great. He's been fired up, motivated. Um, yeah, I think that he would be a great option to put the title on and you get a, a fresh set of title matches with him. Yeah, I, I think all three guys are supremely talented and very entertaining and uh, some of my favorite you know, wrestlers going today. But the thing with Mike Bailey is like um, there's just been very little interaction or build on the tour with him. Um, You could put the bill on him, but I'd be a little surprised, especially with how active he still currently is with Impact. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Leo Rush. Like I know he's working with Impact, but it almost kind of feels like he's maybe getting ready to potentially transition to maybe hypothetically being like a New Japan talent is what it kind of feels like. And so there were a lot of people that earlier this year in the early first quarter of the year wanted him to beat Hiromu for the title. And we're sort of expecting it at that point when he didn't, they're very disappointed. Um, so I could see him being the guy and I wouldn't be opposed to that whatsoever. I think he's the exact caliber of competitor that you want to see holding that sort of title and being the champion. And that would really give whoever the next challenger is a huge goal to go after for wrestle kingdom time. Um, then again, I know some people don't want to hear this. I, I still love the idea of Hiromu being the, the champion that breaks the all time record. That would be a huge like accomplishment. I would love to see that story still play itself out, but they seem to be dragging their feet on that. If that was ever their goal. Between- right. Like they, they really could have, they could have, gotten a few more offenses in by now to really get close to that. Yeah. There've been some events where they could have easily like had him defend the title. 
And then, you know, you look at where he's been recently. It's like, he's been to Glade. He's been to freedoms. He's been to impact. He's been to CMLL. Um, he's been to all Japan. He's been to dragon gate like those. And he had um, some pretty significant singles matches in those companies. Those were all opportunities where he could have gone off and, you know, defended his title, but he did. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like Hiromu's probably going to win, but I'm, I'm going to be rooting for Leo Rush here. I, I'm actually expecting Leo Rush to pick up the win here just based on the way things are going and kind of reading the tea leaves. Um, I think I'm still kind of holding out hope that Hiromu wins. And, you know, make no mistake about it. It's not like I'm the biggest Hiromu fan in the world. I just, I really want to be right that we called <laughs> him, you know, holding the title for... Uh, you know, for for a super super lengthy time and breaking the record, but I'm kind of predicting right now. I think I think Leo Rush is going to beat him. Yeah, I mean, they've been giving him a lot. They've really been getting him over. He's been doing great. Um, I think it would make all the sense in the world to put the belt on Leo. And one thing we haven't really seen play out yet, like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is this whole kind of you know heel persona that he's been doing an impact and. Chris Charlson's been mentioning it on commentary, like you know, yeah, in the U.S. he's been winning, you know, underhand, yeah, underhand, underhanded tactics, and then here in Japan, you know, he's been wrestling clean. So I'm wondering if this is a match that kind of flips the switch to him wrestling more heel and winning the title, right? And then really, you have a question at that point, like where where do his allegiances in New Japan lie? He waves the banner for chaos. But if he starts employing, um, you know, underhanded tactics and and working as a heel, that kind of flies in the face of of the you know philosophies of, of the the group. Um, keep in mind, though, you know, there was a time not too long ago where we saw a heel Jay White work as a member of Chaos, and that was a pretty compelling storyline for. You know, you know what's funny is like at the time it felt like he was part of that group for a long time, but when you go back and look at it, it was like six, seven months, eight months. It wasn't really that lengthy of a time period, but he was a member of Chaos and he was a heel, and it was like and very clear the whole time. Like he's a snake in the grass. When are you guys going to like <laughs> cut the head off this thing and like you know stamp it out? And it it became you know an unwieldy problem for them hypothetically I could see a, a very compelling junior story where it's like, he's a heel, but he's part of chaos, but he's a bad guy mm. and he's not jiving with yo and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting story angles to go at if they decide to do that and kind of have him be a heel in new Japan or if not, they just kind of keep him what he's been doing. Um, and he just, he's just a face in new Japan I'm fine with that too. I feel like he's been his performances have been really great on this tour, um, and he he looks like a star, talks like a star, wrestles like a star. Um, so I think putting the title on him in either situation would be a kind of a great uh, fresh mix up. So then the main event of the evening for the IWGP World Heavyweight Title. It'll be a Lumberjack match. The Lumberjacks being members of House of Torture and just five guys. The champion, Sonata, will be defending against Evil. Yeah. um, Nothing screams 
five star classic like the words lumberjack. <laughs> like the words evil. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm I'm personally really just not looking forward to this to be honest and I know that that's not like a uh you know, that's not like a super uh original take or anything like that, but it is how I feel. Um I I I'm not a huge fan of evil. I never have been. Even before his heel turn, I wasn't really gung-ho on the guy. But it's gotten exponentially worse ever since he did turn. Um, The matches where I've been entertained by him have been few and far between. And most of the time, it's going to be situations where a very um, charismatic and lovable babyface overcomes all of the odds to you know beat him um whether that's a yoshihashi or a zack saber jr or an okada or a hiromu those all kind of like ring out as guys that he's had a few isolated noteworthy matches where they've been able to overcome him and beat him and the crowd really got into it and and loved it Mm -hmm. throughout this feud I know there's history with him and Sonata. They might have some sort of chemistry, but a lot of their matches to me have been lacking uh, ever since the the split. Um, I am a fan of Sonata's work, but I don't see Sonata as being an extremely charismatic or, or charming guy, a guy that can rally up and show fire and get the audience behind him. There have been a lot of... Uh, segments in the lead up to this where he's gotten bested by evil and bested by house of torture and has seemed very apathetic and lackadaisical and sort of just there Mm -hmm. and has gotten little to no reaction from the audience in terms of like true concern or sympathy uh maybe having the lumberjacks around might add something but at the same time the main thing i don't like about evil matches are all the house of torture shenanigans and this just ensures that that's going to be amplified in a legal way to an even greater extent and this is all surrounding the top title in the company and i know that it's the beginning of october the end of september and it's kind of a lull period in new japan it's not typically a time where you ever expect the title to change hands anyway so i get that but this has to be, in my opinion, in the in a decade, maybe one of the weakest ever since the Wrestle Kingdom leads to January 4th Tokyo Dome period, like starting in 2013. This has got to be, on paper, the weakest and worst program and title defense of that era. And I'm not looking forward to it, honestly. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it either. I guess the, the one good thing with Lumberjack match, like the guys will already be out there. Like you, you know, there's there would be interference regardless. So the guys will already be out there. They'll probably be brawling throughout the match. They'll be trying to, you know, stop the good. The just got five guys. Guys will be trying to stop, um, you know, how the torture from cheating and all this stuff. And so. Uh, it, it'll be fine. It'll be what it is, what it is. But uh, expecting Sonata to win and retain the title here. Yeah, 
I, I expect him to overcome evil and retain. And maybe I'm off base. Maybe hypothetically, all of this will, you know, this will be one of those situations where we say that the build wasn't what it needed to be, but in a vacuum, the match itself delivered. And hopefully that's the case because this is going to be, there's a lot going against it. Number one, all the build, all the, the detracting things that I just said, but then keep in mind, this is like one of their bigger pay-per-views of the year. So it's probably going to be a four hour show, right? So it's going to be at the end of, it's going to be at least three and a half hours of action preceding it. People yeah. are going to be tired. And then they're going to have to follow Hiromu and, <laughs> and Speedball and Leo. <laughs> Speedball and Leo Rush. And then they're going to have to like go out there and deliver the goods. Um, I just like, I don't see it happening. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking right now and um, in the history of this company preceding this, there have been seven lumberjack matches all time. Um, honestly, most of them have for the most part been pretty bad. Um, the one noteworthy exception that really delivered was like Tanahashi and Prince Devitt uh, at destruction in 2013. That's a, a really fantastic match. And then um, very recently we had that lumberjack death match at the end of last year. That was uh, new Japan adjacent because it took place at Takataichi Despi mania between uh, Taichi and, and Shingo. And when I think of that most recent match, and Dave Meltzer gave it five stars, it's probably still a lock to be on our excursion match of the year for 2023. I I don't imagine on any level that this match is going to be anywhere near the level of that one. Yeah, not at all. Uh, this match is all going to be about shenanigans. Um, it's going to be you know about the, the fifth guy helping out. So hopefully, yeah, the fifth guy is somebody cool like Nakajima or Uemura. It's going to be out there to kind of help bring some attention on them. Um, otherwise, like you mentioned, we've, we've kind of seen the playbook here. We've seen everything that goes into this rivalry and have not been into it at all either. Um, and you're, you're not going to make evil your, your champion. I, I know people are like, you know, this is great heat. You know, the, the fake T-shirts, the beatdowns, the Kanemaru's uh, turn. Yeah, the Kanemaru turn was great, but... Um, as a whole, I just think Hell Torch just doesn't work for me in New Japan, how they present that. So, uh, especially here in a main event uh, setting like this. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been some things I liked about the, the program. I, I liked the shirt. I liked the Kanemaru turn. I like the intrigue of a new guy coming in, but none of that screams world title program. That's all mid card, you know, cannon fodder shit. It's the sort of, it's not that far off in certain respects from like when um, House of Torture were doing the dog kennel matches mm. last year, you know, or even or this year, whenever that was. And it was sort of like, good, that's where they belong. Like, you know, they're sort of like an undercard act, but we're dealing with it now in the main event with Sonata, who like needs all the help he can get at this point in his title reign. And yeah. they're not doing him any favors and he's not doing himself any favors if we're being honest about it um yeah he's he's come off extra flat in, in this rivalry there's been a lot of moments for him to get heated and show passion and emotion and he just hasn't um okay like we mentioned last week you know he, he, this guy's handcuffed up to the ropes watching you know his friends get beat down he's not even 
you know, trying to like break three, kick his legs, scream, shout, anything. He's just sitting there, blank. You know, the, we did see Evil in a uh, lumberjack match on February thirteenth, twenty twenty two, at New Year Golden Series against Tomohiro Ishii. Which, like, if you don't remember it, probably for good reason, it wasn't that memorable of a match. So we do have a a, a pretty recent um, example of what an evil lumberjack, you know, match for a title looks like. Um, and so I I don't expect this match to deviate too far from that template just a year ago. Yeah, uh, and with there being lumberjacks, that's probably going to be amped up even more. So. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is like, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't really point to or think of uh, too many um, matches between these two guys where I'm like, yeah, they, they've really like blown it out of the water against one another. And considering how long and storied their team um, was, and you know them being in a roster and a stable together. I would have expected at this point for them to have at least one truly, you know, very good to great match against one another, especially since some of those matches have been in high profile spots. And to me, they just don't have the track record of really delivering anyways, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't understand the, the thinking here of putting this as your, your world title program going into Russell kingdom, but, it is what it is, and I'll see Gato has his method to, for, for things, so it, it's here. Um, yeah, it's not it needs to win, um, and then I'm thinking I'll see we'll, we'll get that Sonata-Naito-Russell Kingdom match, and we also still could get, I know that they're heating up Shingo and uh, Suji for World Tag League. Uh, World Tag League doesn't start till December, so you, you could have Shingo uh, challenge Sonata in November at Power Struggle. Yeah, I mean, right now... Um that is what I'm wondering. Like, I'm wondering if we're going to just get the big face off at the end of the night between Naito and um, Sonata. And that just kind of solidifies that that's where we're heading into January 4th. And then, you know, power struggle can kind of revolve around one of the other titles and maybe the world title is just not really on the line. And it's not, uh, you know, at the top of the card at that point, Mm -hmm. or are they going to, give each one of those guys a final program in November before we get to January 4th. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they do and yeah, what the, the post match angle will be. Uh, so some possibilities there, but I mean, overall, I think this is going to be a, a very fun show. A lot of great title matches here uh, in Rio Goku uh, we'll get the final of the best of seven series. Um, so a lot of really exciting stuff on this card, minus the main event. Um, I sort of feel like, yes, there are some things that I'm looking forward to. Like uh, the junior title match looks really good. I think the never open way six man tag team match is going to be very exciting. Um, the best of seven match should be very good. But there are some other things too where I'm like I don't I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the main event. I'm not overly excited for David Finley and Tamatonga. Um, I don't. I'm not 
fully bought in on the idea of the strong open weight tag team title match. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. And then you uh, again, Tangaloa versus Chase Owens. No <laughs> but with, with the introduction of a new just five guys member, and then some of the stronger matches, I think even though it's a bit of a mixed bag, there, sh- there should be enough here to where, um, you know, overall it's going to be a positive show. Yeah, I agree. So that's going to do it for our preview of Destruction and Rhea Goku. Uh, this past weekend, you know, we had the AEW Wrestle Dream Show also on October 1st from Seattle, Washington. Uh, this show uh, in honor and tribute to New Japan Pro Wrestling founder Antonio Inoki. Um, so we can just kind of run through the results here. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pre-show, there was a... Uh, little like ceremony for Noki. You had Tony Khan, our good friend Rocky Romero out there, and uh, Anoki's grandsons all with the, the red towels. And uh, Tony led the crowd in a an each knee sanda, which like you did he? Yeah, he led the crowd in that. Well, or or did he do that? And the crowd stared blankly at him, confused about why he was doing it while he did it. Correct. correct. He he <laughs> he he was out there to lead the crowd, but they did not get what, he, what, was, he, what was he was doing. What he was doing. That was the first time they heard those words. Um, so yeah, I will say this. Um, you know, one of the things. Uh, you know, I when I sent out a tweet. Um, you know, at, when they first announced this show. And one of the things that people online tried to kind of uh, take me to task for is because I used the words borderline, um, what did I say? Exploitative. Exploitative, right? And, you know, part of the reason I said, well, number one, I don't think people understand what the word borderline means, first off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did say it was borderline. Yeah. But, um, you know, part of the reason I f- sort of felt like maybe it was a bit exploitative is because it's like, you know, again, Anoki never worked for this company. He's not tied to them in any way. And then they're utilizing his name to sell a pay-per-view or to tie it to a pay-per-view. Um, seems kind of weird. But at the time, I was unaware that his family would be in attendance and kind of have that sort of stamp of approval. Um, I do think that that changes things just a bit. Um uh, you know, I, I thought it was a, a good show of faith to have his grandsons there in attendance and to kind of do that uh, little tribute in the beginning. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, you know, one thing I would say, and, you know, Jeremy, I don't know if you, I read this somewhere. I don't, I tried to look more into it. And I couldn't totally corroborate it, but I read somewhere that at this year's um, G1 finals, that New Japan announced that this year's Wrestle Kingdom will be in. Anoki's uh, memory. Did they? Do you recall seeing anything like that? I, I don't remember seeing anything like that. Uh, maybe it was said something on the side kind of thing, but yeah, I don't remember seeing a big like, official statement about that. Okay, I'll have to look more into that because I and then I saw I saw photos of something that was also related to Anoki, where um, um, Okada and Umino and Tanahashi were all uh, in suits doing some sort of presser, but it, it was like a Tokyo Sport. Um, interview i couldn't understand it because it was all in japanese <laughs> yeah but but um you know one thing I, I was thinking while they did this was like you know uh, granted i had some criticisms about AEW being the one to do this but 
wouldn't it have also kind of been nice if like new Japan, the company that is actually tied to his legacy to, for them to be the ones doing something like this. So, you know, I think there's still time if they want to, that would be really, uh, I think appropriate. be cool. Although they didn't, you know, uh, calling a spade a spade, they did do a lot to remember his, you know, and honor his legacy at the end of last year and beginning of this year. But regardless, I thought that that whole thing was very nice. And I, I, I do think that that changes things just a tad bit to kind of have the family involved and, and sort of approving uh, of the event, even if I sort of still have a, a couple small gripes <laughs> about the overall presentation. Yeah. I think overall yeah, having the family there, you know, the grandsons and, and all those, you know, people there were, were, were great and being a part of the ceremony and it definitely kind of tied, it made things full circle, kind of tied things together and doing that. And you, you got the, the event t-shirt. I think the proceeds went to his family. I think, uh, the, the the event t-shirt was pretty cool actually like i'm not gonna wear it or buy it because i wasn't i don't know i, I don't like having event shirts for stuff that i wasn't actually at but if i was there i probably would have got that shirt yeah um so yeah great ceremony like you mentioned yeah new japan definitely i feel like kind of dropped the ball on, on some kind of presentation or something a part of their shows and i know like they just had a corkins this weekend but i feel like there's something they could have done uh spice those corkets up to honor him uh during this weekend um during one a couple of things that were funny though is when they were doing that presentation um <laughs> tony khan like backed up and he hit the table and like the portrait of anoki like toppled over <laughs> fucking funny and then um during the uh the video packages they had uh um you know a few of the talent kind of discuss anoki and his importance and like I'm sorry, like they pretty much half-assed it because they don't, I don't, honestly, I think the reality is they just don't have very many talents on their roster that know very much or care very much about Antonio Noki. Like they had Brian Danielson say a couple nice things. And then obviously, you know, Eddie Kingston's always down, but then like the third person was like Chris Statlander. And she was like, Anoki, he was an important person. He was a dreamer. <laughs> it's like she don't know. She doesn't know. Yeah. And and then they had no one else because there's no one else on that roster who's like watched an Anoki match probably like at all. <laughs> and then again, when they're doing the Ichi Nissan Da, the crowd was like the. It was like Nasan, the fuck are we doing? What are you guys talking about? Yeah, and they put it up on a screen and trying to help the crowd channel on, but. It did not work. They they Bro, they were there to see Swerve versus you know Hangman. They're there to see Darby and Christian Cage for the team. They don't give a fuck about it. that crowd. Was not there for. <laughs> they were there to watch Brian Danielson take on Zack Saber. They did not give a fuck about no Antonio Noki and you know th- this was not a bunch of IGF and th- enthusiasts and shoot style enthusiasts you know coming together like <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that was the opening of the the pre-show, um, and then we had some matches. Uh, Athena, Billy Starks, Keith Lee, and Satoshi Kojima defeated the team of Diamante, Mercedes Martini, Martinez, and Lee Morati and Shane Hayes. My boy Satoshi Kojima was able to hit that big old lariat on Lee Moriarty to uh, get the uh, win here. We had a big Bread Club chance. They don't know about each Nissan dub, but they know about Bread Club. Uh, it, it was awesome during this match where um, uh, JR is on the call and he's talking about some of the great Japanese wrestlers that have worked for Mr. Inoki, like the Funks. 
Uh, following that, we had uh, Claudio Castagnoli defeating Josh Barnett. Uh, Josh Barnett, a you know a disciple of Enoki, kind of a, a handpicked guy from uh, Antonio Enoki. So uh, getting some uh, an Enoki trainee, le- uh, you know, legacy here with him taking on Claudio Castagnoli. Yeah, Josh Barnett, a guy that he hasn't really worked with New Japan in a long time. He did a couple brief spots for new japan strong but you know that's kind of a different that's like one of those like rocky things <laughs> you yeah. get a guy in on the lowdown um and obviously he called um some a lot of the u.s shows when um he was part of the access production team for new japan but um the last time he was working regularly for the company was from 03 to 04 but um putting all that aside i mean he really there were like Josh Barnett trained with and under Antonio Inoki and was sort of like the, the Western strong style representation of Inoki's disciplines, you know, from, you know, all going through his time, like in all these different martial arts companies, whether it was MMA or kickboxing or just straight grappling, BJJ, bare knuckle boxing, like he's done it all. Like, and that that's one of the things that I know that maybe, um, Josh Barnett isn't everybody's cup of tea. He's not like necessarily even the greatest worker per se, mm-hmm. but I, what I like about him is like, he is this kind of Renaissance guy. He does everything. Like he's a guy that has his tentacles in all these different worlds of martial arts. And he can kind of like, if you look at his track record, it'll be like this month he did a kickboxing match. Then he did bare knuckle. Then he won a, a grappling world championship, and then he worked the Tokyo Dome against Yuji Nagata. Then he won the UFC title. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, he's doing all these different things. It's really weird. Um, so I like that about him, and I I, I, st- I really love the blood sport events that he puts on as well. But um, I thought the match with Claudio was the best undercard uh, pre-show match. I'd probably go like three and a half. I thought it was very solid for what it was. Yeah, yeah, it was good for what it was. Also, I think the crowd not super familiar with Josh Barnett and his style. Um, so yeah, I mean, from, from that standpoint, it kind of made the match fall a little flat. But and again, it is what it is. Uh, Claudio got the win on Barnett post match. He cuts a promo, you know, telling you know this forty two year old kid Claudio that <laughs> he did a great job and to keep training and you know there'll be a rematch and all you know. It's kind of this kind of weird problem of him putting over this the, young kid. I think the deal is he was basically just trying to allude at the idea that they might do a rematch at Bloodsport, but he's not a great promo, um, especially mm. on a live mic like that. So, but and I also think he was trying to put him over as a as a guy that Anoki would have approved of. So I, I think he was well intentioned, but the delivery was kind of lacking. Yeah. So then uh, after that, we had Luchasaurus defeating Nick Wayne in short fashion. Then the uh, main event of the pre-show was the AW World Trios title match as Billy Gunn and the acclaimed defeated TMDK's bad dude Tito, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Haste. Yeah, this one's also New Japan adjacent. And I got to tell you, I kind of thought this sucked. Um uh, I'm, it's fine because they kind of just brought these guys in to be cannon fodder for uh, the acclaimed. And I get the the acclaimed are very over, so that's 
you know, it's all well and good. But when they announced that TMDK were going to be in a, a trios match for the titles, I was like, oh, shit. Like, Bad Dude Tito is going to go out there and do some really cool stuff. And TMDK are going to get to do a couple cool things. And it'll probably be short. But they're gonna they're gonna get to to showcase what they can do and get over a little bit, and they just really didn't. Like they kind of just got ate up, and it, it was over very quick. And uh, I don't know. I just I I didn't think it was very impressive, and didn't um, justify what they're capable of. Yeah, also this match was all about really just kind of getting the acclaim on the show and getting them over. Um, yeah, I, we we were singing the praises of Bad Dude Tito last weekend. Also. Uh, Hayes and Nichols are a very good tag team, but you really didn't get to see any of that. Um, had they let given Bad Dude Tito a really a chance to go, man, I think fans would have really dug him and he would have gotten over uh pretty big time. But yeah, a lot a lot of shine and focus here was on uh the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, and so yeah, it was kind of disappointing to see just kind of how quickly they got Team DK out of there. Yeah, and it's not like I expected them to win the. AEW trios titles or anything like that. Not, not, I'm not even saying it needed to be an especially competitive match either, but I think they should have let them shine a little bit and kind of showcased why TMDK have the reputations they have, or, you know, what, it, what, what is it that is sort of brewing under the surface with uh, bad dude Tito, why people are so excited about him. And they didn't, they didn't show any of that. Yeah. That, that part sucks. Yeah. So then that brought us to the, the main show uh, opened up. We had the ROH World Tag Team title two-on-one handicap match. Uh, MJF defeated the Righteous Dutch and Vincent. Um, yeah, a lot of just MJF's jick there. Uh, following that, we had the ROH World Title slash NJPW Strong open weight title match. The double champion Eddie Kingston defeats... Katsuyuri Shibata, 10 minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah. Um, the, the, the funny thing here is like, I'm even wondering uh, how uh, relevant to New Japan this is in any way at this point, because it's like, yeah, Shibata made his name in New Japan and holds that distinction of being connected to them, but like. <laughs> You know, earlier this year we'd heard he signed a contract with them, but then he's working literally all of his dates with uh, AEW and Ring of Honor. And now at the press conference post-show, he was like, someone asked him like if he had any kind of contractual obligations to New Japan or if he was going to be tied to AEW. And he's like, if they're willing to make a deal, I'm ready to sign. Like, and Tony's like, I want you to stay forever. And I'm like, does this guy work for New Japan or no? Like, what's you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's super confusing. Uh, yeah, I mean, the main uh, New Japan tie here is that you know it's for the strong open weight title, and the winner here would go on to uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed later this month in Las Vegas. We uh, mentioned earlier about Aaron Hanare wanting a shot at the strong open weight title, so I mean, all signs are pointing towards uh, Kingston versus Hanare. Another thing that didn't make any sense from a kayfabe perspective, they kept talking about, and I get, I get why they did this because it's, you know, it's just promoting, you're trying to hype stuff up, but they said that had Katsuyori Shibata won, he would have held both the ROH world title and the new Japan strong open weight championship. And he could have combined that 
with the ROH Pure Rules title to create the the new Western Triple Crown title. <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense because number one, his Pure title is not on the line. Number two, the Pure title is only defended under Pure Rules matches. Right. This wasn't a Pure Rules match. So if he was going to combine them, how can you defend them all as a, a Triple Crown title unless all future matches are going to be Pure Rules matches or... You just get rid of the pure rules division and you just amalgamate the pure rules title into the other two and just make them all regular. Like they didn't put any thought into that. And I think that that really showed their hand that it's very clear that they never actually intended to do that because there's no logic behind what they're saying. They're like it's going to be the new American triple crown. It's like, how that doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a pure title, but um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, triple crowns kind of become one of those kind of buzz word things you just kind of say it's like you you, you heard that you hear that phrase so you just you just try to throw it in any, anywhere you can and that, i that, think it, i think it's also another thing where it's like oh puro they love triple crown we're gonna in japanese wrestling triple crown it's like it's an enoki show you're talking about the triple crown that's, that's baba shit like <laughs> what are well, you doing well kingston won so yeah Bob, and, baba <laughs> yeah and then you got the kingston road cosplay disciple the guy you know, wearing black and yellow, dropping people with with uh, Tenru power bombs as his new finish, beating the strong style disciple in Katsuri Shibata, all to honor Antonio Inoki. <laughs> the the match was fine. Um, it it wasn't necessarily um, you know, a top end strong style you know battle like you'd sort of expect. But at the same time, I don't think Shibata's really able to kind of do those sorts of matches. I think. At this point, it's more reputation than anything else. Yeah. So uh, following that, we had the AWTBS title match. Chris Statlander defeated Julia Hart. Then after that, we had a four-way for the AEW World Tag Team Title World Contendership spot. The Young Bucks defeated the Guns, Hook and Orange Cassidy, and the Lucha Brothers. Then we had uh, Swerve Strickland defeating Hangman Adam Page in one of the uh, top matches of the evening. That was a really fun matchup. And then we had Ricky Starks defeating Wheeler Utah. Um, And then uh, Brian Danielson defeating the NJPW World Television Champion Zach Saber Jr. 23 minutes and 12 seconds. And I know that is the... uh, Recommended uh, excursion match of the week. Uh, so I don't know if you want to talk about it now or wait till we get to that. So. Yeah, we could talk about it now. So before before we talk about the match, Jeremy, did you watch the recommended match of the, or the yeah the recommended match of the week? Yes, I did. What were your thoughts on that match and how that played out, and then kind of compare and contrast that what you saw here? Yeah, I think there were some similar elements of. You can do this, I can do it better kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I think the key difference is obviously Zach was way less experienced yeah. than what he is now. So it was like back then, well, that was what, 08? It's like, all right, mm-hmm. anything you can do, I can do better. But Brian would always end up kind of overwhelming Zach because he could do it better. Um, yeah. And there were some things that Zach would kind of hang in there with and he was throwing kicks and he was – Exchanging holes, and he would kind of get the better of Brian every once in a while, but ultimately, Brian would always get, kind of get back control. Here, it was like, all right, this is a more well-seasoned, you know, what, 35-year-old, however old Zach is, 
um, a guy that's been a world travel, one of the best wrestlers in the world. And now he really can kind of go to hole for hole with Brian Danielson. And that's what you got through all the match here. And so, yeah, very similar element there, but it's a, a more mature, more experienced Zach. Yeah, I went back and I actually rewatched both of their uh, matches preceding this. I watched the one that you watched, and I thought that that was uh, very good for what it was. Um, I thought it was very interesting that they, uh, in that first very infamous Triple X match, they fucked up the finish and accidentally pinned uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and <laughs> had to call an audible on the fly. And and Danielson actually ends up salvaging the match and and audibling them into a two out of three falls match and you can kind of tell from that point that zach is totally lost and danielson guides him through and has him roll him up real quick and then they go to a final finish and it's very dramatic it's very good um and they have a great finish in that match but uh the second match that they had in uh wxw totally different and it's actually available on the uh on peacock <laughs> <laughs> You know, so once you're done watching The Office, you can watch, you can pop in some WXW from Germany and watch Brian Danielson and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. But uh, it's a very short match, and and um, long story short, 98% of the match in offense, it's just Brian Danielson killing Zack Sabre Jr. And mm-hmm. suddenly, out of nowhere, Zack beats him with a roll up, and it's it's truly danielson beating his ass for 98 of the of a 12 minute match so it's not anywhere near what these two matches were but um i thought that this match was incredible i i, I truly did and you know it's funny i i think a lot of people are going to think that this is uh completely up my alley and to some um to some degree it is but there were some things i thought were kind of missing that I think I needed to kind of put it over to the next level. Um, one thing I noticed, this kind of match, if it if this match had happened in, say, like 2016 in front of, like, a diehard Evolve crowd or in the early 2010s in front of, like, a Dragon Gate USA crowd or, like, in Reseda, in, at, you know, every single little fucking thing they did when, when you have that smaller type of diehard audience that loves this style of work, they would have been losing their minds and going crazy. And you didn't have as much of that here because I think that those types of environments, number one, I think when you're working a more technical style, it's in a smaller environment. It's actually easier to gather what's going on as opposed to in a large arena um, to kind of gather exactly what's happening. Uh, especially when it's fast paced like that. The other thing too is um, certain audiences are a bit more educated on the nuances of technical wrestling. And I can't recall very many matches um, in any major North American company where they were working this sort of British Lancashire style of catch wrestling, you know, work style um, in North America that really had these sorts of reactions from the crowd. I don't think the crowd wasn't, I, I'm not going to say they weren't into it because I don't think that was the case at all. I think they stuck with it and were very, very into the action. But what I noticed is there was a lot of, like you mentioned, the, the, the story of the match was anything you can do, I can do better. And they're both trying to one upsman each other. So at various points, the one thing that they did that was really smart was they kept doing 
the stalemate standoff. And we're very used to seeing that. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so even though the crowd didn't know how to show their appreciation of the transitions that they were doing, they would always find a moment to stand off. And I know some people, I read a few reviews, some people didn't like that they went to the well with this too many times, but I think the reason they did it was to work the crowd because they, I think they knew the audience wasn't as educated. And so they did this to, sh- to give the, the audience a chance to breathe and be like, ah, you know, and clap. And this is different from what I've seen from like Japanese audiences, especially like shoot based or MMA style audiences. If this type of match was happening there, they would be ooing and eyeing at the trend. Like they would be, ooh. Oh. Ah. <laughs> and like the, the North American audience doesn't know to do that. Like they are, they're, they're like so wowed that they're like, oh, what the fuck am I seeing? But like, um, yeah, I think too, a lot of that crowd probably is not familiar with his, Zach Sabre Jr.'s work, his signature spots, and kind of what his style was. I, I know mm-hmm. normally the AW crowd is, you know, the diehard kind of wrestling crowd, but. There are some things that they don't really know, um, and so yeah, so I think a lot of them not really from super familiar with Zack Saber Jr. and kind of all his signature spots. Um, and I think that's probably part of the reason why they weren't super reactive too. But a few things that I thought were fantastic, you know, um, there was a lot of people that maybe aren't the biggest fans of this style of wrestling or even Zack Saber Jr. in general. And have this pre preconceived notion that it's going to be like a grapple fuck, you know, just a bunch of wrist holds and working of an arm and stuff. And yeah, there was some element of that, but truth be told, this was much faster paced and transitioning than what you would normally see out of uh, other Zack Saber Jr. matches with guys that can't go on the same level as him. I I didn't see them calling very much in the ring. I think very much a lot of this was them just sort of rolling and basically i don't mean rolling in the context of like um bjj like but more so in the context of like the way you uh work on your transitions in a gym in in a pro wrestling context because almost everything they were doing was looking for submissions or looking for pinfalls and transition and finding unique and cool ways to counter one another and transition out of it they were doing most of it completely based off of uh reflex and and their um you know instinct for for that style of wrestling and it was extreme i mean for this kind of crowd this kind of audience i think that it's really hard for anybody to have done the high level of work that they were doing and still maintain a grasp of the crowd i think everything they were doing was very fun and exciting and showy and also still exciting and fast-paced they didn't sit in any particular holds for too long and and kind of bore the crowd it was very 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 fast paced in that regard and then when they did start to kind of like work over body parts there were reasons for it because again um brian danielson's coming off of the broken arm he's got the rod in his arm and so that sort of became a target for uh zach saber jr and then um uh brian danielson uh started to you know employ uh dragon screws and he injured the leg of zach saber jr and that kind of became his target and that was one of those things where like i didn't know there was one really nasty dragon screw and i was like i don't know if that was planned yeah. or if that was a botch or if it was a happy coincidence like they planned to botch it but he overdid it like it, it, it's hard to tell it but it looked nasty 
Yeah, that Dragon Screw was nasty. Uh, yeah, this whole match was excellent. Honestly, the whole story here was trying to figure out who is the best technical wrestler in the world. Uh, but then it, towards the end of the stretch, you know, Zach's biggest downfall has always been the striking game. Even though he has put on um, some masks over the last couple of years or so, he's not been the you know proficient striker. And so towards the end here, uh, it was Brian's striking ability, hitting the uh, Basaiku knees twice at the end, what put out Sabre and you know, Sabre cut a post-match promo and was like, yeah, you, you chickened out. You, you had to use knees to, to beat me. You didn't tap me out. This was supposed to be uh, about technical wrestling. And Brian cut a promo, too, and talked about, yeah, uh, I, I don't feel like I'm the best technical wrestler in the world Um because I, I had to knock the guy out. I, I, I couldn't tap him out. So uh, definitely leaving the door open for a rematch. Sabre says, you know, come to the UK or Japan next time. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting kind of story there. And yeah, the, the striking game and the psycho knees leading to the, the downfall of, of Zack Sabre. Uh, they did go to the strike exchanges in the latter half of the match. And one thing I did notice was, even though, yes, that is true, that's typically the Achilles heel and downfall of Zack Sabre Jr., he normally kind of wilts and crumbles at the strikes of his opponents. But mm-hmm. with um, with Danielson in this match, he wasn't doing so much of that. In fact, he was doing quite a bit of like no-selling the shots. And part of the reason why is because Brian was being forced to utilize his left side as opposed to his right side because of the arm break and i think that probably emboldened and enabled zach to kind of wither weather more of the storm mm-hmm. um which was kind of cool and interesting to kind of see him be being able to do that but yeah ultimately it was the bisaku knees that um took him out the the to me the most compelling moment of the match was when zach and i don't know even know what it, that's a lot of his matches. He gets guys in these <laughs> situations. And I'm like, I don't know. He's got them all tied up. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but he, he had uh, Danielson in a very compromised position, especially with the arm. And it looked like he might potentially, I mean, we've seen it before where like, he's going to tap a guy out. He has him in the middle of the ring. They're trying to transition out. And he just keeps putting them into a more central location in the middle of the ring. And it's like, damn, they're not getting the ropes. This is looking bad. <laughs> And he's like wrenching it on. And um, I thought Danielson was very close to tapping. And then um, Nigel McGuinness is on the call. And he's like, think of your, your daughters. <laughs> retire. Just retire now. <laughs> and it's like this man is still hating as hard as he possibly can. Like this, this rivalry is never going to die. And he's standing up in the shot. Like he's in the background like shouting and standing. And then, I, and then Mox takes it. Mox was on the call. And you know what? I thought Mox was great all night, but there were certain points in the early portion of this match where he was talking too much, so much so that like at a certain point, like um, Nigel had to be like, take a breath, mate. Like, <laughs> and, and, and I, I still think he was a positive overall, but there was an early part of the match where I'm like, damn, he's like just dominating the, the commentary here. Yeah, but, he, it was oh, more more of just kind of like a, you know the the mocks here in a podcast. He he's just riffing, he's talking, he's just he's just ranting, and it's like it's entertaining, but it's like bro, no one else is talking. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious, and he's talking about like <laughs> Danielson reading like uh, tantric sex books and <laughs> all, all kind of like weird stuff. Like, about Danielson likes to to work out by walking on all fours and shit. 
Yes, but so, uh, wait, I bet you Brian wishes he was a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> but at a at a certain at this point where um, you know Nigel's imploring um, Danielson to tap out, like Mox takes the heads off headset off. He's like, "Fuck that guy! Get to the ropes!" Like <laughs> so good. That, but um, the tail end of the match, you know, uh, Danielson hits him with the bicycle knee, kicks out, hits him with another one. It's very clear that that's the end one two three and it's very definitive and um there's nothing wrong with that i'm not even criticizing it. it's not bad by any means it was a great finish but to me personally for me to go to that next level where i'm like i need to i see this as an all-time all-time classic i'm gonna give it the five stars there has to be that it's not just the technical excellence. There has to be that next level of like emotional feeling. You know what I mean? And yeah. I felt it for most of the match, but when it got to the fu- the finale, it just kind of came a bit abruptly. And it wasn't bad, but I also don't think I could call this like a match of the year contender. I know it's sitting at like a 9.64 on cage match, and I'm, there's a lot of people that really love this. I loved it. I'm, I'm like four and a half. That's very high. That's that's where I am too. Four and a half. Like it just there was like also it hit that great level of four and a half, but there just wasn't that extra special magic that would push it into a four and three quarter five star matchup. I I know that like from a technical standpoint, it's higher than like maybe what I saw from like Kenny and Will this year, or like Naito and and Will or Naito and Okada, but it didn't have that next level. Of emotional fan investment you know and maybe that is a little bit of the westernization of wrestling for me like maybe it is like i need the fire up spot i need someone to get put down or i need like the big kick out what well, something but like the do 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 you know yeah but like i did it never got there like it felt like they were leading there and they were about to get there and then boom he just puts them out and that's a great story and i think that this is something they could build on for the rematch if they ever do it but um you know and to me i do think the story was brian was better because brian bested him on the ground he bested him with the strikes there was no area of the match where where zach was able to get the upper hand on on brian even after all these years yeah i mean there were were some points where he would kind of catch him in certain holes and you think he had him but yeah, Brian was definitely more kind of the, the aggressor here. And, yeah, I think, too, that's kind of the atmosphere. Like you mentioned earlier, the crowd not really getting into some of the stuff that they were doing towards the beginning of the match really kind of hurt just the potential of the matchup. Like, I feel like if this match, say, happened in New Japan, I feel like we mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, that the Japanese crowd, they know how to react to these kind of holes. And I feel like there would have been a, a more of a buzz and it's kind of like hanging on the edge of every near submission near fall kind of feeling um had this match been in japan and then it being here in seattle again i don't know like the seattle crowd i'm not they didn't really seem like they knew who zach saber jr was but it's not like they're watching all his matches they don't know his signatures they don't know that he, he does a zach driver he does a european clutch like they weren't popping for some of the, the signature stuff that zach does and that's again because you know this match. I mean, they've been advertising for a few, few weeks, but I didn't think they did a great job on AWTV, like highlighting Zach, 
why is Zach facing Danielson? Why is this a dream match? What is the importance? And I get, I right. know, I know a lot of times the, the AW approach is our, our fans are smart enough to know why and everybody else can kind of catch up, but I, that's not always great promoting when, when, when you're just assuming things and you're not actually promoting it. Sometimes you have to put some juice behind it. Yeah. I, I think yeah, they, they should have spent more weeks doing some more vignettes, especially building Zach up showing how great of a technical master he is and really showing why he's coming after Brian. Now, I will say this. I don't think it was a, uh, uh, this is just my opinion. I don't think it was a matter of the fact that the crowd wasn't into it. I think that they were not educated enough to know how to react to it because I think that they were reacting in their own way across the board. Like they, otherwise, if they didn't like it or, or whatever, if they were apathetic, there would be no reaction or they would have hijacked it or booed or whatever, or just be apathetic. But they were reacting in the, in the ways when they would do the standoffs, they would react big for those because that's when they knew to take a breath to react. Mm-hmm. They just didn't, like you mentioned, they didn't know a lot of um, Zach's spots. So they didn't know when to respond to those. And they didn't know, you know, um, how to respond to some of the, uh, some of the other stuff that was happening early on in the match. But when they were given the chance to show appreciation, it was definitely there. Um, I think it was just more of a a lack of education Mm -hmm. and kind of awe. Honestly, I think that they were awed by the style of wrestling match that they were seeing it. Honestly, in some ways it kind of reminds me of some of the early, the closest thing that I think we have seen. In North America to this, probably Angle and Benoit in the early 2000s. Mm. And I don't think crowds knew how to respond to that when they were doing their, you know, um, amateur style catch wrestling exchanges in the early parts of their matches either. Yeah, I don't really remember people like the crowd really going crazy for those those sections of the match uh, for Angle and Benoit. Um, so yeah, I think definitely they could have benefited with some more, some vignettes every week, kind of showing Zach and what he's all about and to help really kind of push this match. And so by the time that they would come, the crowd would kind of know him, know what he does, know what he's all about. But the end of the day, one thing I will say is at the end of the day, regardless of what it felt like watching it live or what it, what the perception was the, the buzz is there. It is all over the internet. People are, people loved this match. And so uh, it really, really did help the like profile of Zack Sabre Jr. as well as Brian Danielson. And I think it's, it, it's the most talked about match of the evening. It's the one that uh, most like p- viewers at home seem to have connected with. Yeah. And we did have a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. It says ZSJ versus Brian Danielson at Wrestle Dream was incredible. If you got to make the pick, would you rather see Danielson against Okada or ZSJ at the Tokyo Dome this year? I would vote for the ZSJ rematch. Yeah, it's funny he asked this because I was talking to Rich today and I said I said this exact thing. Like, uh, yeah, there's a story that need that hypothetically, I mean, I, I don't care if Okada gets his win back against Danielson necessarily, but I think that there's a, a narrative there from a narrative standpoint. He kind of you kind of want to see him finish his story like he's Cody Rhodes. (laughs) But um, in terms of like the, the actual delivery of the matches, I mean, to me, if I'm watching Okada versus Brian again, I'm hoping to for them to redeem 
the perception of the first match. Like it was good, but he broke his arm. Let's see what they could do when they're fully healthy and everything goes perfectly right, you know? And let's see them have the classic. I hope they can have versus what if Zach and Brian wrestle again, I'm like, I already fucking loved it the first time. Let's run it back. It's like, it's like me wanting to see angle and HBK again. It's like, that was so incredible. Let's do it again. Run that backlash. Yeah. This is, I want to see this match again more than I want to see Okada and Danielson. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to see what Okada Danielson looks like on a, on a new Japan stage and how the crowd would react to that matchup there. And, and I feel like it's a, a bigger, it's a higher profile match because it, it's Okada versus it being Zack Sabre Jr. Um, so I feel like that's something that could be like a, a semi, a big semi-main event, and also right now Okada doesn't really have anything lined up for the dome, so that would be a kind of a cool rematch to do. But again, yeah, the, the Zach doing it, you know, Zach's already said, yeah, we need to do it in the UK or Japan. So having that rematch at Wrestle Kingdom again could be another great attraction. Um, I don't know what you do with the, the World TV title, but yeah, having these guys go again out on the dome, I think, would be really great. Um, so following that, we had the Don Callis family of Konosuke Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, and Will Ospreay defeating Chris Jericho and the Golden Lovers of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. 22 minutes and 10 seconds. So I'll see our New Japan representation here. Uh, Will Ospreay uh, in this matchup here. And Will, as usual, looked uh, really great here. Um I guess the, the, the Don Callis family colors are, are red and black. So Will had these, this long red and black. I was like, does this, this man like steal like Suji's gear? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I this was uh, on paper supposed to be an all-time RLPW extravaganza of some of the greatest wrestlers in the world today. And the match was fine. It got there. But, like, I don't know if it was because they were following – Zach and Brian mm-hmm. that they didn't catch on or if there was something else going on, but like this didn't feel like an RLPW classic. This like was like uh you know, this was RLPW zero, zero sugar, zero carbs. <laughs> like. Yeah, honestly, you know, we've seen these guys in the multi-man matchups and just what they what all six of these guys could do. And yeah, I definitely think following Brian and ZSJ hurt a little bit. Um, and then also too, I feel like they were, it was almost like they were wrestling a house show style version of this match. Like they weren't going fully like balls to the wall. Like if this was like a PWG kind of thing, you would think you'd be seeing all kind of crazy spots. I feel like they really were, it was more kind of a story based match, really focusing in on Sammy and Jericho's relationship and just kind of the whole thing with Callis versus, all right, go out there and have, try to have a match of the year contender. Uh, putting all that aside, I mean, I personally, I've got no, I'm, I'm almost kind of treating like, and I, and I think both companies are doing the same thing too. I think I'm kind of just, uh, compartmentalizing Will Ospreay's involvement in AW with his involvement with new Japan, because they don't actually seem to overlap at this point or really be connected. And as he's joining different factions and, having different gear and, and um, kind of characters uh, between the two companies, they're kind of just disconnected to me. And 
you know, again, I fully expect him to be leaving New Japan at the end of the year. And so I'm kind of, you know, it's a little bittersweet watching this stuff because it's like this is definitely the genesis of whatever is next for him in AEW. And it's the exit strategy from New Japan as it's playing out in real time. Right. Like, how often do you see them, like, plug an outsider into a faction, into kind of a key storyline? Like, everything for Will is being set up already for him to be there. Like, he's going to be in the Cows family. He has this feud with Kenny and Jericho. Like, he, he's going to be a, a set. You don't need to do, like, vignettes. Like, he's been on so many AW shows now. The fans, if you didn't already know him, they know him now, and they kind of know his deal. And so... Yeah, they they have a perfect, you know, Osprey size hole for him in on their roster, on their television when his New Japan deals up. You know, um one last thing I'll say, I didn't watch the rest of the show. I went to bed after this. It was eleven o'clock at night. I worked the next day, so I was just like, I'm gonna go to sleep. But uh um so I, I haven't watched the rest of the show. But you know, for for a show that's honoring Anoki, they put over Will. um and on the pre-show they had uh kojima pick up the win but every other new japan employed guy or even new japan adjacent person lost like uh which is uh, you know it's i'm I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world there are some diehard new japan fans that are really butthurt about this but it is something it's it's worth pointing out like josh barnett lost um tmdk lost Katsuri Shibata lost. Zach. Zach Sabre Jr. got beat. And then, you know, even though they're not even part of the company, like depending on how you see Aussie Open and United Kingdom, they're, they're, they're still throwing up the crowns. They lost. So it's like, damn, New Japan took a, a mopping. Like, but I, I, I guess now New Japan knows how it feels to be ROH. <laughs> yeah, all, all those years of yeah, bullying ROH has come back to uh, bite them. Uh, but yeah, following that, yeah, you mentioned Aussie Open. They uh, failed to win the AW World Tag Titles against FTR. Honestly, uh, a little bit underwhelmed by this matchup. Uh, I didn't think it hit the the Royal Quest match they had last year. And I don't know. I feel like it's one of those situations where, like, all right, now you're following Brian Saber, Osprey, Omega, and a six man, and now you're out there. And I just felt they they tried too hard to make it epic and it just wasn't epic and i think cash wheeler got hurt during the match and then i think davis snapped his wrist in the match um so guys were, were getting getting hurt but yeah definitely i think the royal quest match was better they gave him 20 minutes to work which is definitely enough time to have a great match but you know the the match they had before was like 43 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so it's so like more than double the time of this one um the other thing too you know, just gonna throw it out there. Like, I know that they kind of quote unquote rehabbed Aussie Open, but less than 50, like just about 50 days ago, they were jobbing on the pre show for the King of Rue kick. I don't know if that helped their cause here, being the semi main event at Wrestle Dream. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Um, so then the, the main event, uh, AWTNT title, best two out of three falls match. Christian Cage defeated Darby Allen in his hometown, um, and this all led to the, the debut of Adam Copeland to AEW. Um, you know, I know Anoki was a big Edge 
Adam Copeland fan, so yes, yes, you had to bring him out here on this show. Uh, not honoring Anoki, uh, so it, it, it all made sense. It, it's all right there in the name, Adam Cope. <laughs> but, all right, the Cope is real. I saw, I saw some wild stuff on Twitter regarding this, like, it's crazy. There yeah, some really hurt fans. I saw that he uh trademarked the name, he trademarked Cope. I hope he did get. Goes by that. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Oh, here here comes the cope. <laughs> any, any any final thoughts before we jump into the news? Overall, solid show. Um, not one of the top AEW pay reviews of all time, but overall, so good. Uh, long show. Um, I'm feeling the effects of of staying up and watching the whole show. Uh, yeah, you're you're tired on this podcast. Like, um, I'm looking over. You're doing a couple winks and nods. Yeah, man, I'm 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 struggling. I'm pulling Dave Meltzer. So, you know, when he he falls asleep with Brian, sometimes I, I'm struggling over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's close it out real quick. So the news: MLW, CMLL, and New Japan are working together. Uh, CMLL and Forma announced that CMLL has formed an alliance with MLW, along with longtime partner New Japan Pro Wrestling. MLW released a joint statement confirming a landmark strategic alliance between the three companies. You know, MLW, they love to uh, announce landmark strategic alliances, so that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> Big news. So, yeah, all, I don't care. All I want to say is, Court Bauer, if you want me to watch MLW, you know what you got to do. Show me this partnership's real. Put the strap back on Satoshi Kojima. <laughs> It's funny you say that because my joke was going to be, I don't care what you do, Court Bauer, I am not watching MLW. It's funny. I love how it's like, you know, this big New Japan partnership. And so far it's been like Kushida, uh, Suzuki, like all these guys are just like in the U.S. anyway. And then I love like for CMLL, like it's Rocky up there. Like it's been like the main CMLL crossover so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? That's different because he's popping business and numbers over there. Yeah. Like, that's different. And, I, and I'm not just saying that because, like, oh, you know, we're friends with Rocky or whatever, you know. Um, I Nothing like that. Like, in all sincerity, he's having a major run in CMLL. But, like, you know, the, the, the shit with, like, Kushida and, like, uh, Suzuki, it's like they, those guys work GCW and other, like, indies. It's the same thing. Are we going to announce a landmark announcement that GCW is partnered with New Japan now? Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just Court Bauer's just smart enough to know how to, like, market this shit. He's like, you know what we could do? Let's call this a strategic alliance. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't already have alliances with Impact as well as AEW, whatever. Right, yeah. Anyways. New Japan Battle in the Valley is once again coming to California in 2024. The promotion has announced that the 2024 edition of the event will be held on Saturday, January 13th, and once again take place in San Jose, California. Tickets go on sale Thursday, October 5th, with prices ranging from $30 to $300. There's no matches announced yet, but they will be coming soon. Uh, Due to to his knee injury, Hiroki Goto will miss the remainder of New Japan's Destruction Tour. Goto has been out of action since suffering an injury on New Japan Destruction in Kobe on September 24th. In an update today, New Japan announced that Goto has sustained damage to his uh, medial collateral ligament. Goto is off the rest of the Destruction Tour. I only got one thing to say. 
Strip him. <laughs> um, Julia successfully defended her title against Amy Saray uh, on yesterday's stardom show from Cork and Hall. High Ann appeared via video and issued a challenge to Julia for the NJPW Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour on October 28th. This past Friday, New Japan was on the Extreme Sports Channel on Pluto TV in the UK, France, and 35 other countries throughout Europe. Special presentation sees Destruction in Kobe air in full. So if you live in Europe, you might be wanting to watch some Pluto TV. It's pretty, I love Pluto TV. So, you know, I check that out sometimes. That Not, fast channel shit. Yeah. I know there's like a whole like impact channel on there. I watch I watch it for the music videos on like Saturday mornings. Also, I love Tubi. Tubi's got like the best horror films. But um Kenta will challenge Chris Sabin for the X Division title at Bound for Glory. That's gonna do it for the news. Let's jump into a couple questions here. Yeah, Barry Wall says, I know as a TV company it makes sense, but with Abima's main owners also owning both New Japan and Noah, is it not a bit odd to also show Raw and SmackDown? I know they don't really have any say, but from New Japan point of view, is this not a bit concerning or slightly disrespectful by a major shareholder? Uh, You know, I I, I don't know how, um, I don't know what percentage of, uh, New Japan's ownership is actually owned by Abima. I know that they, I think they've got a, a minority stake, to be honest with you. I could be wrong in that, but, um, you know, I, I, I do think they're like a major partner, but I don't know how, how deep the, the ownership stake actually goes. Um, in any case, I mean, they're, they're a television channel. They're already showing Noah and New Japan. Now they're showing some WWE. I, I don't think it's that deep, honestly. Yeah, I, I think it's just yeah, one of those things. A uh, uh, distribu- distribution deal got cut. It ended up being a Bima, uh, but yeah, I don't think there's anything for them to be worried about or any heat that needs to be had. I, I'm not a major expert on television trends and and everything when it comes to Japan, but you know we've known for a long time that New Japan has been on Samurai TV. Samurai TV pretty much airs a lot of, if not most wrestling companies over there as it stands anyways. And that's, so that's not that different from this as far as I can gather. Yeah. Uh, the other question says, I follow both new Japan and to a certain extent, Noah, but mainly for Nakajima and Kano with Nakajima being probably my favorite wrestler active today. Just heard he is done with Noah at the end of September. How likely is it? He goes to new Japan. And if so, how would you book him? What faction, if any, is a good fit for him, or does he lead one? Um, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I don't know how likely it is because I don't know if uh, if you're just looking at pure dollars and cents. I'm sure he can make more money in America working for WWE or AEW as opposed to New Japan at this point in time. But he probably stands the most to gain from a professional standpoint in new Japan, I just think that they, it, it, it's a more natural fit. They're the market leader domestically. And, you know, in AEW, it's kind of going to be a, an uphill battle, you know, kind of working behind Kanosuke Takeshita as well as Kota Ibushi, you know, as some of the more major landmark Japanese talents in that company. And then, you know, WWE is a whole different animal. They don't have the best track record with uh, Japanese talent. And, and, you know, for what it's worth, neither at this point does AEW. They haven't really showcased that they've been able to um, utilize a, a, and really get over a, a Japanese talent to that 
to like a world title or main event level at this point either. So that's kind of a gamble in and of itself, but that he might want that challenge and he might want that experience and he might want that, you know, lucrative opportunity, but I'm hoping he goes to new Japan just because I think he could really use that, um, you know, reinvigoration. I think the company could benefit a lot, especially with some of the exoduses that are probably likely taking place this coming up year. I think, you know, Nakajima would be a, a an incredible fit in the company. Um, I don't know where he gets plugged in though, in terms of like alignments. Yeah. We, we talked about earlier, potentially it could be just five guys. Um, I feel like he, he could fit in LIJ. He kind of has that that kind of attitude, I think, would fit in well with uh, Naito and company there. Uh, yeah, but I, I do think that New Japan would probably be the, the wisest thing for him. I mean, I don't know how great his English is, and um, I don't know if he wants to be living in the U.S. Like, if he's, you know, all settled in Japan, I think, also moving to New Japan would be probably the best thing for him at this time, so... We'll see what happens, but yeah, I think there are a couple different factions he can get plugged into, but I think he'll be an asset, like you mentioned, when we're potentially losing uh, Will Ospreay and, and uh, could maybe Zack Sabre Jr. next year. I mean, if you were to, if you are going to absolutely lose either a Will Ospreay or even hypothetically a Zack Sabre Jr., there's going to be open slots for leadership opportunity in both United Empire and Team DK. There's also the possibility that he mentioned where he could come in and form a new faction and maybe, you know, maybe we see a reshuffling of some of these groups once again, you know, which is not always the bad thing that it sounds like it might be. Yeah. Uh, Stale Breaker Bun asks, do you think this potential WWE and Noah partnership slash relationship slash whatever it is will affect NJPW in any way? You know, I honestly, I don't think that there is a relationship between Noah and WWE. Um, yeah, they let uh, Kijimuto work with Shinsuke Nakamura, but that seemed like a quid pro quo sort of thing. They also brought him over and put him into the Hall of Fame as the Great Muda. So I think that that was sort of the trade-off there. And the whole thing with them being on Abima is just like WWE from what I understand, they were on a different channel years ago and they lost their distribution rights and they've been looking for a new TV partner in Japan. And now they found a Bima and that's it. Like that, that's the full extent of it. As far as I could tell, uh, all, all Japan was on a Bima for a long time and they still might be on a Bima. Um, I think where a lot of this is getting chalked up is because uh, Muto made mention of the idea of a partnership, but it was like a jest, like he was joking and he kind of like talked about how he'd like to take Triple H out to lunch when he comes to, you know, when he comes to Tokyo down the line. And I think a lot of the like aggregation sites in, in North America, like took that and ran with it. And the fans gave it a whole life of its own. But I don't think there's any sort of actual formal reality to the idea that they're other than the fact that they're on the same TV channel. But so is New Japan. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's again, it's kind of one of those rumors, kind of like the whole Tony Khan buying New Japan thing, where like one person kind of starts it and it gets totally overblown and everybody starts sharing it. Yeah, I saw some of the comments from Muto, and uh, yeah, I don't see how this leads to some big Noah WWE 
relationship. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's happening, and yeah, New Japan has nothing to really worry about there. Uh, last two questions here from uh, Def Triangle Seven Twenty. First, he says, "What do you think the remaining matches will be at Royal Quest 30? I isn't most of the card already announced. Uh, they announced four matches, um, so obviously it's going to be Zach and Will for the IWGP UK title. It's going to be Ishii versus Shingo. Uh, first time outside of Japan uh, in their rivalry. And then also it's going to be Tanahashi, Eddie Kingston, and Michael Oku versus Hanare, Jeff Cobb, and TJP. And El Desperado versus Trent Seven. That sounds like most of a card already. So that's five matches. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what the rest of the card's going to look like. I mean, it seems very much like we're going to have ref pro, um, you know, um, on the show, which I think they should be. I think that makes sense that if you're going to have a Royal quest that you have, um, interaction from your major partner in the country. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what the rest of the card looks like. Uh, any chance that maybe hypothetically, this could be a place where they do a, IWGP title defense. They've done one before with Suzuki uh, against uh, Okada. I don't know. I would say yes, but they they're doing the Will Zach match for the UK title. I don't think you, you want that to main event. So I, I don't think they would also do a uh, IWGP World Title defense on on top of that. Um, that that's actually one thing I did want to bring up and I forgot to mention. So very interesting story for that match because you've got will osprey who's right now like this world beater he's on a a killing streak of defeating all of his major rivals foes legends and and people he looks up to and then you've got zach saber jr who is undoubtedly one of the best wrestlers in the world but every time he's put in a major spot he seems to falter and not be able to win the big one and now he's getting put up to the task to try and dethrone will osprey at the height of his power in what's maybe likely the very unless something changes probably the last match these two will ever have in the uk um and it's sort of like hard to imagine he beats will yeah um as far as the rest of the world quest i'm sure we'll see guys like ricky knight jr uh leon slater robbie x some of those, those top rev pro guys and then I don't know how they're going to fit them with New Japan, but yeah, there'll uh, be some cool matches to come. And then this last question, what do you think would be the exciting match for the junior title at Wrestle Kingdom 18? A four-way? Um, Possibly. I mean, that's kind of up their alley. So I, I personally would prefer that they do some sort of singles match, but it, it depends on how we get there. And it's I think it's too early to call. Right, yeah. It all, it all depends who you're trying to fit on the card of uh, we've, you know, we've kind of seen them over the years kind of alternate between some kind of multi-man match and then a, and then a big singles match. Um, so it's a really, it all depends. I think uh, partly who wins the match next Monday. Um, I think if a guy like Leo rush or speedball wins, I could definitely see them doing some kind of multi-man matchup to kind of load that match up. But if Hiromu wins, they could find somebody and, and build a program and do a big singles match. 
Well, that's uh, it for the questions. Uh, recommended match of the week. We kind of already talked about both the the Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. matches uh, from 2008 and from this weekend. Um, don't really think there's much more to add to the that there. Uh, the only thing I thought that was really um, cool was just to kind of see. Obviously, Danielson is. I think Danielson's just as good today as he was back in two thousand eight. Oh yeah, but I was actually pretty impressed by Zach in two thousand eight. Um, for, for for only being a four year pro, yeah, yeah, and he had the whole uh, emo hair going. <laughs> Bro, he was a straight up emo into that. That hair is ridiculous. Yeah, but. He was so, I mean, he he's not like an athletic marvel today or anything, but like he was so gangly, so unathletic. His strikes were so bad. Yeah. His bumping was bad. He was like good for like an indie wrestler. Right, yeah. But not like a, but like to see the advancement, to watch that match and see how he moved and everything. And then to see where he was at, you know, just the other night, it's like, holy shit. Like. Yeah, and pretty quick he he did a uh, suicide dive at one point in that match, and I don't think I ever yeah he did a suicide dive. I never seen him do one. Yeah, it's like yeah, this man was like the most indiest of indie wrestler at the time. Yeah, that that was funny. It was a good match. Make no mistakes about it. But like it, it's kind of a a masterclass quasi carry job from Brian Danielson at the time, and then that's sort of the match that launched Zach's career. So yeah, it kind of came full circle. Um, I have a, I think I have excursion match of the week this week, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I was a little on the fence about this one because I was like, is, are we counting him? Are we not? But then I looked at the track record and he's worked like more than half of his, you know, um, year here in new Japan. So I'm going to count it. Uh, I'm going with Teton versus mascara Dorada. From CMLL Noche de Champions, Night of the Champions 2023 from September 29th. This currently is sitting at a 9.29 on cage match. The highest, the highest rated Teton match of the year, even higher than the five-star rated Teton Wato match from the best Super Junior Final. So um, they're calling it the best CMLL match of the year. Wow. I'm uh, considering there's been a lot of bangers coming out of there uh, this year. That's high praise. So definitely looking forward to checking that out. And then for the recommended match of the week, you know, we got Rhea Goku next Monday. We're, we're going to go back to uh, Rhea Goku in 2009, the IWGP title on the line. Shinsuke Nakamura taking on Shinjiro Otani on the Chono 25th anniversary show. Nice. Looking forward to that. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here. Next week, we'll be back to review Destruction in Rhea Goku. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com, slash donate, and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow the network at Social Suplex. Follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash social suplex on Instagram. We're at social suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. 
Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, so with Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Simowitz. And stay tuned for new shows coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bum. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.